Welcome to Tentpole Trauma, the podcast where we look at movies that came with hype and high hopes, but left with crushing disappointment, either critically, at the box office, or both. Freed from the weight of expectations, we seek to examine these underperformers under a new light, parsing through the good, the bad, and everything in between with the hopes of gaining a better understanding as to why they failed to find their audience. Warning, there will be spoilers, so if you haven't seen the movie that we're discussing today, I suggest you stop the podcast and go watch it. Then when you come back and listen, you'll get more out of the discussion. On this episode, we discuss The Matrix Revolutions. Sebastian, and I'm here with Rodney. Hello. And welcoming back to the podcast. It's one of our original podcasters, Chris. Greetings. Hey, what's up? It's good to be back. I don't get welcome back? No, you've been on a bunch of episodes recently, so I can't welcome you back. You were just on like the second to last episode. Yeah, Rodney, you just did Cloud Atlas. It was great. I loved hearing your opinion. Thank you. That sounded both genuine and ingenuine. Disgenuine? Ingenuine? Disingenuous. Disingenuous, yeah. People like your opinion, Rodney. You really speak for a certain segment of the listening population with your general discontentment. And he comes with good jokes. I'll tell the listeners a fun fact. I'm actually on every episode, but Sebastian cuts me out entirely from a lot of them. (laughs) That's right. When I don't like his opinion, I cut him out of the whole podcast. You get recast, you know, like I've been recast as Rodney multiple times. because (laughs) He's just like, that didn't work. And I literally have to replicate your opinions and and change them around. Rodney got assimilated by Agent Smith and we had to (laughs) replace him with a new Rodney. Rodney, we like to have you give a horror recommendation whenever you come on from your show, Pod Forsaken. Do you have any that might tie into The Matrix? Anything kind of mind-bending that you've seen recently? Well, then I'll recommend, what's the the weird David Cronenberg film that's like perfect for this? Uh, Existence? Existence. Yeah, I watched that recently. That's funny. I don't know if most people have seen that movie. Is that common? I don't know. No, definitely not. That's a really good recommendation. And that came out around the same time as the original Matrix. And I remember it being in a lot of the same conversations. So that's very appropriate. I mean, it's not really a horror movie, except in that way that certain Cronenberg movies are like... Body horror. They make you feel icky. Yeah, right. They're both about people who plug things into their like their necks to like go into a virtual world. But David Cronenberg was like, what if the controller is like a bag of flesh? Yeah. <laughs> and that that I'll never forget that because every year I ask for that for Christmas and I never get it. <laughs> 
pluggable bag of flesh. The scene I remember most from that movie is like they eat like some kind of gross chicken or something and then like make yeah. a gun out of yes. the bones. Like, yeah, it's teeth, I think. Our, our teeth are the bullets. Yeah, they make a bone gun that shoots teeth. That movie's weird as fuck. Jude Law, I think, right? And, I forget and Jennifer was. Jason Lee. Yeah, Willem Dafoe. Yeah, it's more prevalent now because of VR, because we are headed there where like she's a game designer. Honestly, like watching it now, it wasn't as mind blowing as it was at the time. I remember being like, oh, this is so trippy. I can't believe that they're, you know, playing a game within a game within a game. But then, you know, now I feel like we're more acclimated to stories like that. And it's a little less mind blowing, but it's still a worthy entry with uh, Cronenberg, I think. Yeah, I, I think it's it's like it's mid-level Cronenberg. It's the last of his movies that actually felt like his early movies. True. We are continuing on our month of Wachowskis with their third Matrix film, The Matrix Revolutions. They made three of them? Well, one of them has continued on and made a fourth one, which will be coming out in a few weeks. Yeah! Which is why we are doing the Wachowskis this month. And also, as I've stated before in the previous podcast in the series, they have made a lot of commercial failures. Now, this film does not technically qualify as a commercial failure because it did clear its production budget and it definitely made a profit worldwide. But when you look at the numbers, man, it's a steep drop from Matrix Reloaded to Matrix Revolutions. And I think it's fair to say that it kind of killed the idea of a Matrix franchise. I don't know if the Wachowskis had any interest in continuing on with a Matrix franchise at that point in 2003 when both of these movies came out. However, I think pretty much everybody who saw these two sequels were pretty disappointed in them. And yeah, it just sort of killed the whole Matrix vibe. Let's talk a little bit first, though, about the original Matrix I remember when it came out in 1999, I remember at that time, because it starred Keanu Reeves, I remember thinking before it came out, like, oh, this is another terrible Keanu Reeves movie, like Johnny Manomic or whatever. Because, I mean, at that time, he was kind of, at least in the public's perception, kind of a has-been almost. And now he's John Wick again. He's had these sort of career revivals, but... At that time, it was not a big draw. I mean, we're talking post-Dracula and all that kind of stuff. So when I, I remember seeing the ads, and it was cool. Like I was like, oh, yeah, it looks like they've got some special effects with the bullet time shots that they showed in every ads. But I wasn't really thinking it was going to be a great movie. And then it came out, and a, some of my friends saw it before I did, and they were like, oh, my God, it's mind-blowing. You got to see it. You know, I can only show you the door. Yeah. You have to walk through it saying stuff like that. And then I saw it and I really liked it. As you guys know, I have this thing where I'm a little bit contrarian. Like when everyone's super into something, I tend to be a little bit resistant of it. Oh, is that why you hate Avatar? No, I hate Avatar because it's a bad movie. But I did like it and I did, you know, think it was a good movie, but I wasn't over the moon about it. But I have kind of grown in my appreciation of The Matrix, especially like since I've sort of learned screenwriting and stuff like that. I can really see like 
this is a great screenplay. That's one thing I have to give the movie. It is a near perfect Campbellian hero's journey screenplay. I think it's the best of its kind since Star Wars, yeah. which is why I think The Matrix has a Star Wars style yes. fan base. But Chris, Absolutely. what was your feelings about The Matrix in its initial release? I had almost the same experience as you did. I you know, was living in New York when it came out and I was not really aware. I was aware that it was out, but then I, you know, I was literally at a bar and a friend of mine came in after having seen it and went, you have to go see the matrix. You have to see it right away. Buy a ticket tomorrow. I will buy it. It's actually Steve say, who's been on this show many <laughs> uh -huh. times. Like he had seen it and was raving about it and was like, I'm not going to tell you anything. You just have to see it before it gets spoiled for it. This was pre-spoiler, you know, uh, internet, I guess. But um, yeah. he didn't want it to get spoiled for me. And so he was just like, just go see it. I don't want to tell you anything about it. I went and saw it. Probably smoked way too much weed because I remember it being quite an intense experience. Like we're talking spoilers. So like when he wakes and gets pulled out of the Matrix, yeah. it's one of the most like, oh my God, is that really happening <laughs> parts for me? You know, and it was, but it was mind blowing and it was great. And I really connect with your um, parallel with Star Wars because it really was sort of like a perfect movie. And it really, you know, it's one of those prophecy with the ones, uh, Campbellian themes and stuff like that, but it does it so well. And it really brings it into a modern aesthetic sort of, you know, and like sort of goth was on the rise or goth industrial. So it kind of like hit at the right moment with the right, you know, window dressing on it as well. And, and it, you know, I'm a huge fan of it. It's like, it is one of those, you know, movies where you can be like, wow, that's really perfect. And every time that it's on and you, you see a little bit of it, you want to watch more and there's not really a weak link in the whole movie. It's just, it's just so, so great. Rodney, what was your feelings about The Matrix when it first came out? Uh, a friend of mine was like, let's go see it. I think I saw it opening weekend. I really knew nothing about it other than, you know, I saw some trailers. It looked cool. And it like blew my mind. I must have saw it like five or six times in theaters. To this day, The Matrix is one of my all-time favorite films. I think it is one of the few flawless movies in existence. I agree. It's pretty flawless. I mean, you can maybe nitpick a few things here and there. I can nitpick anything, and I know you definitely can, Sebastian. I would nitpick the love story. That would be the only thing that, on the first viewing, I remember being like, that was kind of weak. I feel like the ending could be a little tighter. Like, I feel like the last 15 minutes when Neo's just kind of running around in hallways after he's had that big fight with Agent Smith in the train station, it's kind of like, okay, let's just get to the end. We don't need, like, 17 shots of him going in an alleyway yeah. and then going up some grungy stairs and then going in another hallway. Like, just have that end fight be the end fight. I don't... It's almost like 10 minutes too long. But other than that, I think it's perfect. But also the love story chops into that too, where she's like sitting there with the sparks behind her and she has to kiss him to bring him back to life. I was like, yeah. I was enjoying it because it wasn't about love. And I was like, this is a modern story that's not so hackneyed. And then they have to say, Oracle told me you're the one. And I'm like, did we have to go there, guys? Every movie has to be about love. It's like, fine. But, you know, that was the one little stumbling block for me. It's a love story, Chris. Unearned. Don't hate on The Matrix. It's fucking awesome. Fair enough. If there's one thing I can say that it, we're going to talk about in this episode is the Wachowski's love of making every scene go a little longer than it needs to go. I feel that really comes into play and Reloaded, but we'll get to it. Oh, for sure. Right. So whatever they did for The Matrix is like just right, maybe a hair too long. And then now it's taken way too far 
in the other ones. I get what you're saying about like running through the hallways. I get it. But like, you know, he has to get shot so he can come back to life and truly be like reborn. And, you know, no, I it's a nitpick. When you nitpick, you're picking a nit, which <laughs> I guess means it doesn't really count as a real criticism. The Death Star run goes on too long as well. So, I mean, you know, there's a bunch of perfect movies yeah. that that could be edited a little bit. We're all mature enough to admit that we can love things and have them still be flawed. Yeah, yeah. Don't take it personally, Rodney. I would say in the grand scheme of great movies, The Matrix is pretty flawless. Yes. And I think it's undeniably a great movie, and most people would agree. Now, one thing we need to kind of talk about is how The Matrix has sort of impacted culture. Mm. Unfortunately, it's had sort of a bad impact on culture, which I really kind of am sad about because I know the filmmakers well enough just from interviews and stuff to know that the things that people have taken from this movie are not their intentions. The biggest one, of course, being the red pill, blue pill thing to decide that you're going to either stay in the matrix and be blissfully unaware or find out how deep the rabbit hole goes. Do your own research. Yeah, do your own <laughs> research. You take the red pill, and that has become the right wing's sort of meme about how, you know, you need to do your own research and really see what's really going on with the liberal media and all that. So that's unfortunate. And there's also the gun violence thing, famously, because the Matrix climaxes with a big gun battle in a building lobby the matrix has been referenced in a lot of active shooter situations and in the columbine incident the kids even dressed up in black trench coats and stuff and claimed they were influenced by the matrix but there's some debate about that he did the same thing in basketball diaries he put on a black trench coat and literally shot up his own school so if anything that's a more direct parallel but i don't want to like give any credence is that, that what happens in basketball diaries i've never i've never seen that there's a fantasy sequence where he pulls out like a shotgun and then just blows all his schoolmates away and huh. anyway i don't want to dwell on this i mean like look when something's super popular people it's gonna it's gonna bleed into other areas of life you know people are gonna want to dress up like it they're gonna take lines from it like that's unfortunate but that's just life you know well, I mean, it just introduced the idea of, you know, us living in a simulation. And like, that's definitely part of the conversation now. And, you know, even Elon Musk says, like, there's a high probability that we are living in a simulation. And so it's just whether it opened our eyes to it, that we are in a simulation or not, you know, it just it brought the question to the forefront of our culture. And I think it's a cool idea to speculate and just talk about the more we get into using technology on a daily basis and being like, you know, trapped up in it, which will hopefully be, uh, you know, probably in the new one. Look, it's possible that there's like a point in my future where uh, I get laughed at, but people who think we're living in a simulation are like the dumbest people on the planet. <laughs> there's, I'm sorry, that is the- Elon Musk said it, I mean- he's... Yeah, I don't know. And he tried, like, he tried to make cars that don't use gasoline, so what's that tell you? And he succeeded. Sort of. He's like the of. richest guy in the world. Doesn't that automatically equal he's awesome and smarter than all of us? Yeah, I guess it does. He must be right. Another way the Matrix really influenced culture was for the entire first decade of the 2000s, I feel like every action movie had to be influenced by the Matrix on some level. No doubt. Yes, yes. Oh my God, there were so many I want to be the Matrixes. I mean, the big sort of visual innovation at the time was the whole bullet time thing, which is essentially when... P 
people shoot bullets at Neo. He's moving so fast that everything slows down. And then you get these sort of 3D panoramas of the bullets passing by and stuff like that. It would actually had been something that was being used in commercials and stuff beforehand. But the Wachowskis really sort of music videos. Yeah, They perfected it for action cinema for sure. So we saw a lot of that. We saw a lot of black leather and trench coats. I always think of the Underworld movies oh, as being the most yes. obvious wannabe Matrixes. So hard. That's why Rodney loves them. Okay. Well, I don't. I don't. I don't love the Underworld movies, but I like them. Yeah. I actually did a full rewatch, and when I was watching the first one, I was like, "This is this is totally a Matrix ripoff." Down to like the way the subways look. Well, it's funny because in Matrix Reloaded, there's this scene where one of the characters talks about how vampires and werewolves are these anomalies in the Matrix or whatever. And I feel like the underworld was just like, what if we just made a movie about that? And that's how (laughs) we got underworld. Although I think it came out like the same year as Reloaded. So that's probably not the case at all. But they were definitely cribbing off the original Matrix in their look and everything. No, I remember Rodney, it was it was uh, Resident Evil. That's what you always bring up. Sorry, I'm, I was mixing up Resident Evil with uh, Underworld. I yes, I do love the Resident Evil films, and there is I do feel like Resident Evil One. There's not like any bullet time in it, but it definitely has like a there's a Matrix vibe to it, you know. Like the Matrix is one of the most influential films of all time. Yeah, I can't imagine there's anyone listening to this show who has not seen this movie. I don't even know if there's anyone. I was gonna say on this planet, <laughs> but I'm sure there's a lot of people who haven't seen it, but I probably don't associate with them. So. The Matrix is fucking dope, and uh, that's that. End of podcast. (laughs) Yeah, we're done. All right, I got to go. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that pretty much sums up the first movie accurately, so why don't we get into the much more problematic sequels? There were sequels? (laughs) (laughs) Now, uh, this might be an interesting take for you guys from my point of view, because Though I resisted the Matrix phenomenon while it was happening when the first movie came out, by the time The Matrix Reloaded came out in 2003, I was fully on board. I was pretty jazzed for The Matrix Reloaded. And I saw it opening weekend with a bunch of friends. And like, honestly, I had a great time watching it. I definitely thought there were problems. I recognized that there were problems. And I mean, I think the biggest problem with The Matrix Reloaded, you can really boil it down to it's just too much. Like, I like pretty much every scene that happens, but every scene goes on too long. Every scene has too many things in it. We get this great fight with Neo and like a million uh, Agent Smith's, which is dubbed the Burly Brawl. And, you know, this was obviously the moment in the movie where I think the Wachowskis were really hoping to up the ante with visual effects. And unfortunately, like you watch that scene and it's really good. It's really good. It's really good. You're like, I'm loving this. I'm loving this. I'm loving this. Then Neo picks up that pole and it all goes to shit. It turns into a PS3 game, and you're just like, what am I watching? Why yeah. aren't I playing this? Like, yeah, and it's all you'd have to do to fix it is cut that out, and it would yeah. be great. Mm-hmm. And it's so frustrating because it's so bad, and it's not just like it's, oh, this one little bit where you can just be like, oh, I'll just sort of let my eyes glaze right. over and not see that bad digital double. It's, an- it's another 20 minutes or something. I don't know how long it, it goes just on goes for, but... on and on and on, and they 
try to do all these tricks like throwing a bunch of smiths into each other and then having a bowling alley sound and then he's like running off over their shoulders and stuff and like these aren't necessarily bad ideas but the digital doubles are just not there and it looks so obvious and it wrecks the whole scene which is a real shame because it could have been one of the best scenes ever it just reminds me of that line from jeff goldblum in in jurassic park where he's like your scientists were so obsessed with if they could they didn't stop to think if they should it's the same thing with george lucas and with peter jackson and king kong it's just because you can have Anything that your hearts desire, don't just go there, you know what I mean? And it's way, 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 way too much. And like, I just wish an editor had pulled them aside and been like, guys, this is this is ridiculous. We have to stop here and, you know, and move on. Wait, look, I'm going to defend these movies a lot, but I cannot defend this part or, or any of the CG parts that are like that, where they're having like a digital model of a character because mm-hmm. they look really goofy. Yeah. And it, they're like, they're, it's so apparent I like the part where he's fighting with the pipe. I think there's a lot of cool moves and shit, and I can, like, let it go because I've seen it a bunch. But I can't argue. I remember being in the theater that that opening night, and when it cut to CG Neo being like, what's happening? This look, that looks terrible. He looks like a marshmallow man. It's just yeah. like... And yeah. sometimes you get into the editing room, and, you know, it's like comedy where... The joke gets stale after the seventh time you've heard it. So you're like, ah, change it, add a different one or something. Yeah. Like, and it's possible that they had seen the fight so many times that they just kept getting bored and they're just like, add another level. Or or maybe they had a stopwatch and they're like, this fight has to go on for 15 minutes because that's how long I want this fight to go on for. But it shows to me that their barometer was off, you know, and that yeah. they would allow something to go like out to the theater that long. Question for the crowd. Why is it called the Burly Brawl? It was just a name they gave it, and it ended up yeah, why did that getting out yeah. to like the movie sites and stuff. Like, Ain't It Cool News was like, it's called the Burly Brawl or whatever. I mean, this was at the height of like Ain't It Cool News. I don't know if you guys yeah. ever went to that site. And Chud.com, which I actually wrote for for a little while. They don't say it in the movie, obviously, because it sounds like the dumbest yeah. thing ever. The Burly Brawl. It is listed in the credits, like in the music credits. There's like a music uh, credit. Oh, called, maybe like, it was the Q, yeah. Burly Brawl or whatever. Okay. It just, I just think it's a stupid name for it. Like, Bur- no one in the scene is Burly. Right. Like, unless <laughs> my feeling, maybe we want to have a debate on Burly. I just think you. What is Burly? There's a better name for a fight where there's like a, like the infinity fight would be better or like the mirror right, fight totally. or whatever. Mm-hmm. The fight of a thousand smiths. That's, there you go, even better. The fight that will never end. Well, and it's also kind of a frustrating scene because at this point we know that Neo can fly. So the whole time you're just like, why doesn't yeah. he fly away? Why doesn't he fly away? Why doesn't he fly away? And then at the exactly. end of the scene, what does exactly. he do? He flies away. And it's like, why didn't you do that before you turned into an awful CG digital death puppet? Let's talk about just this idea of how Neo now has kind of been weirdly depowered because they had no other choice but to depower him. At the end of The Matrix, it ends with Neo making this phone call to, I don't know, The Matrix itself and being like, I'm going to wake everybody up and show them what you won't show them or whatever. And then he friggin flies up to the camera and you're like, oh, my God, Neo's so powerful now he can fly. And then in Matrix Reloaded, they clearly wrote themselves into a corner because now they're like, oh, shit, we've made him super powerful. We've got to dial him back. And so what they do is they give the, the agents, the people that he fights, 
upgrades, which, you know, that's fine. That's kind of a clever use of computer terminology. So I'm okay. I'm totally cool with it. And I get it. Like he can't just be kicking everyone's ass mercilessly the whole time, but it's an indication that you, you can tell they didn't really ever think about this in terms of sequels and they had written themselves into a corner and they had to get themselves out of it. Well, I would sort of debate that with you because I would say the first fight he has in part two, he fights these three nondescript agents. Mm -hmm. And it's like it's it's like the simplest thing in the world for him, even though they have upgrades. Right. I think they are trying to show you that, like, he's still like a total badass. Like, it's like barely a fight for him. But Agent Smith is a different beast altogether. Right. For obvious reasons. He's also been upgraded and he can now replicate himself infinitely, which makes him really deadly as we see in the Burly Brawl. But I, f I feel like that's a clever upgrading of him. Sebastian, to your point, like some of the dialogue that really irks me with the Oracle is when she's like, you weren't ready to know. And to me, that equals the writers hadn't thought of that yet. Right. You know, it's like the... Sequels have tons of holes like that where you're just like, ugh, come on. Like, I would be cooler if if they just didn't go there at all. But like in trying to explain it, it makes it even faultier than I thought it would be. Well, let's talk a little bit about the whole Oracle thing. The Oracle is this character who is played by Gloria Foster. Uh, she's in the first movie. She basically sort of tells Neo that he's not the one, but she's really doing it so he'll he'll choose to be the one. And, you know, the idea of choice and predestination and causality are big themes in the movies, the philosophical themes that keep coming back. And I did enjoy her character. You need that character. I mean, she's literally called the Oracle, which if you study Campbellian archetypes and stuff there's a character called the oracle like so they literally just took that and gave it to her as a name but i find her kind of frustrating in reloaded because before the burly brawl oh my God. neo goes down and sits down next to her and they have this fucking conversation that goes on forever and it yep. goes nowhere it's all like I used to say this when I first moved to L.A., coming from the East Coast, I found that people would be so obtuse when people on the East Coast were super direct. Like if you ask somebody on the East Coast what time it is, they'd be like, oh, it's 4.30. You ask somebody on the fucking West Coast what time it is, they're like, well, what time do you think it is? Like somebody was always giving me a fucking clever answer when I just Why wanted Why didn't you some... fucking kick that guy's ass? <laughs> like what the fuck is going on here? What L.A. are you living in? I would go God, to that sounds awful. Just every, Jesus. Every douchebag would act like they were to? in the Matrix. Fuck these guys. Everybody oh. thought they were fucking Morpheus. I'm sorry, man. And they would give me some obtuse answer. I think you just have one of those faces, Sebastian. <laughs> I know what you mean, where they're like, oh, let's have let's have lunch tomorrow. Like, yeah, like maybe, like call me. But uh, I don't know, man. Come on. You guys know it's true. If you grew up, if you spent any time on the East Coast, you know people there are way more direct. People in the West Coast like to just play games. Yes, I think people here are 
are really high. I think they're really high. And that's why they're being obtuse with you because they're like, they didn't even understand what you said. They're like, oh, all right, bro. Yeah, time is relative, bro. And that's what I think that's what was probably happening. I hope. It's an exaggeration to make my point. Yeah, this dialogue that you're talking about, I don't know if any of you have watched Lost. It's the same type of shit that they, these philosophy 101 writers like pull. They're like, just tell me what I need to do. And they're like, but you already know what you need to do. Or like, you've known all along. The idea is is before the idea. You know, it's just this obtuse shit that I fucking hate that people think is mysterious, but I just cannot stand by. And and this move, like the two movies are full of it. And it's just, it. I can't abide. Well, I mean, what it is, is you've got a character who's trying to find out answers and you've got another character that can't tell them the answers because that would ruin the plot. <laughs> Exactly. So you get you get a lot of this dancing around the the issue and uh-huh. couching it right. in philosophy. But why does it make it more interesting or more fun to watch? It's just frustrating to me. I mean, maybe somebody else has a different take. Look, I I completely agree about this scene and a lot of the scenes with the dialogue. Right? Like, oh my god, they go on forever. This scene in particular, in in the park where she talks to the oracle, and this is actually one of the the the, the lesser of these scenes. But I do think that there is a internal logic going on here where she knows that she can't just give him a straight answer because that will alter how he behaves. Yes. She knows by being cryptic will cause him to make the choices he makes that will ultimately hopefully lead to the end result that she's trying to get to. Yes. Which spoiler alert is saving everyone or stopping the war, stopping the war is, you know, the goal. But I agree that that doesn't make for a satisfying viewing experience as the viewer. And yes, like, I love these movies so much, but when I watch them, there are so many scenes where I'm like, God, I wish this were a good scene, yeah. right? It's just that, like, mm. the parts that I love, I love so much that it kind of sure. just, like, overrides the bad scenes Okay, for me. I'll accept that. I'm definitely with you in this movie. Like, I still love this movie. Are we talking about Reloaded or? We're still on Reloaded. We're still on Reloaded. We're on Reloaded, okay. My friend said that, like, basically the Wachowski's thought of them as one movie cut in half. Right. Yeah, it is. It definitely is one big, long movie. Well, and he also said that the first movie is birth, the second is life, and the third was death. That's fine. And you know what? I can see that, but that doesn't make them all good movies. I really just think of it as like there's The Matrix, and then there's a sequel that's four hours long, and it's split into two parts, right? Right, Right. which is why I feel we need to talk significantly about Reloaded more so than the original. Can I just give you my flat take on Reloaded? I mean- yeah, I, I was psyched to see it like Sebastian and I heard about all this this crazy special effects that they did. They built an entire highway for their car chase. And so I was really jazzed. Get in there. 50% of it's really cool. And you're just like, oh, wow. And then all of a sudden there's a freaking Burning Man rave and we're supposed to think it's cool. But and you're just like, what the fuck? This is not cool at all. Like the Matrix convinced me that industrial shit was cool. Now it's like they're convincing me that this Thing is cool like no and then by the end with the whole architect thing i walked out of there being like the jury's out and i have to wait to see reloaded <laughs> i mean re- revolutions in order to see if they can stick the landing and make all that work but i was so kind of just ambivalent and and confused by how to accept it that i reserved judgment for the third one mm-hmm. and that's that was my feeling after seeing reloaded and i was like this is not looking good but they made a great first movie so let's let's you know see the third one and see how it all pans out when you hit upon that rave scene i remember that being a real sticking point for most people like that was the thing where like the oh and the rave and people just hated it and again 
I can understand what they're going for there. I can understand yes. like this is a celebration of life of this new yeah. world that we're living in. Yeah, and if I people were that, living yeah. underground and yeah, they would be mm -hmm. this kind of society. Like I can buy all of that. The problem is, just like everything with this movie, it goes on forever. Like we have yes, we have exactly. this whole techno tune, and while this is happening, <laughs> and all these like sexy dreadlocked people are dancing in slow motion and rubbing bodies, which I don't object to necessarily. We're also getting the Neo and uh, Trinity uh, hot, hot sex scene, which is weirdly not hot, especially since like they both have these weird plugs in their bodies and shit like that. Yeah. Like, kind of takes a little of the sexiness out of it. But in both cases, these things would be fine. Like, I don't mind the sex scene. I don't mind the rave really in isolation. The problem is indulgence too much of it give me this for yes. like two minutes not like seven or whatever the fuck it is in the yeah. movie my answer is going to hold for a lot of these things i remember when i was in the theater i was like this is well shot and cool and i like this song and i like the slow motion dancing but this feels like weirdly out of place and i remember even the first time i saw it being like man this is going on a long time I personally like the weird sex scene because I like how they got all the plugs and I, I kind of think it's... Right, Rodney, man, you uh, you a freak. It's a little, yeah, it's a little <laughs> kinky and I like it. And like, I think it's an important scene because you need to be reminded of the love story and it needs to be built upon, right? Yeah. I think it works. I just agree. Like my my note is in every single scene, please trim 20, 20 to 30% of this scene, yes. you know? I also hate Morpheus's speech that he gives before the rave starts. <laughs> yeah. We are still here. We are. We are still here. <laughs> we are Zion. It is like I honestly felt like he gave that speech just in a room on a green screen he with, did. with yeah. no directors around, and they just did one take, and they're like, "What well, did you use it?" Well, he's a Shakespearean actor, and so they he's gonna like they told him it's like you are speaking to the all city of Zion to the rest of humanity that's still alive, and they pumped him up, and he said, "Well, if that's who I'm speaking to, I'm gonna chew the scenery on this," and so it's not his fault, you know. They told him to go for it and chew it up, and so I I do not lay any blame on Lawrence uh, Fishburne for doing what he did. He was given his marching orders. It just it's so unmorpheus like. I think that's the thing. That's true. And that's not his call. I mean, well, is I it? mean, I don't I wasn't there. Right. If Morpheus was supposed to give a giant speech. Would it sound like that? Maybe not. But you're right. I get it. It betrays his character. It just doesn't feel like like the character from the rest of the movie. He's so soft spoken in his wisdom. Yes. You're right. I feel like that problem is there from the beginning. I feel like the Morpheus we get in Reloaded is different than the Morpheus we got yes. in The Matrix. He's talking way more stilted, like everything he says is He's speaking the exact word and, and it's all so deliberate. And it's just in the first movie, he had that vibe, but it was much more relaxed and more natural. And in this one, they're setting up this idea that Morpheus believes in this prophecy, even though it looks like they're all going to fucking die. He's believing it. And we get this whole thing with this council and, you know, which is always a bad thing to put in your sci-fi movie. And also the, you know, the army, <laughs> the army guys like Harry Lennox is the commander or whatever general guy. They need all the ships and Morpheus is believing in this prophecy and that's going to screw up this whole battle. So we're getting that. I get it that Morpheus is so possessed with this idea that Neo is going to save them, but it feels like his character is different. He doesn't 
really have anything to do after freeing Neo from the Matrix. I mean, other than sort of lead, but not lead, or be the rogue leader that that defies the council's orders, but it's he, he's not really given a lot. No, and in the second movie, he ends up just sitting in the seat next to Jada Pinkett Smith and, like, literally yeah. doing nothing. You mean in the third movie? Yeah, in the third, in the third movie. movie. Yeah, yeah, pushing a few buttons and, yeah. In part two, he again, I think he, he has a lot to do in the car chase sequence. Yeah. Sure, that's cool. He is a presence, but I do agree that, like, it starts shifting away from it. In the third movie, Morpheus is just, like, wasted. You know, I don't know how much you guys want to talk about Reloaded, but I, I do think it's important to for, for people who haven't seen it or be reminded that the whole premise of this this two-part movie, if you will, is that the machines are digging to Zion, right? And they're going to wipe out everyone. Yes. And I think that's fucking cool. I, did you guys see the Animatrix? Yes, I love the Animatrix. I saw it once a long time ago, yeah. I owned the DVD and I would smoke to it constantly. Yeah, it's it, so good. It's fantastic. It is. The most important short in there is the final flight of the Osiris, right? Which yeah. is the which is like the prologue to this. And I think it's kind of again foolish that the Wachowskis expected you to have seen that. Given I did right. see it. But this movie starts, and it just starts with people being like, the machines are digging, you know? And I'm like, mm -hmm. this is not a good way to start your movie, right? Like, you don't actually see machines digging until well past an hour into the movie. Yeah, I think they started a whole sort of multimedia blitz, you know, where, like, there were clues in the video game that you had yep. to play in order to understand this. And and I think they just kind of stretched their story too thin. I mean, they were very ambitious, as you guys have discussed already, but... I agree with you, Rodney, that that to expect people just to come in stone cold to Reloaded and not know anything that's that's happening was was a bit of a mistake. To be fair, I I played that video game as well. So I, I'm like a big nerd here. But again, even as I was playing it, I was like, this is awesome because they shot all this extra footage for right, the video right. game. But like. I'm like, most people are probably not going to play this, so how would they know this info? I didn't play it, and I didn't know it. I mean, I got the gist. They mentioned the Osiris in it. You can watch these missing scenes, you know? I know there's a, not a lot more with Niobe in the game and stuff. Oh, yeah, a lot. Honestly, my favorite part of the Animatrix was the second Renaissance, which yes. is just the backstory, which is a phenomenal story. I wish that level of storytelling had carried through to these sequels because like it really got me pumped for these sequels because I was like, man, they really thought this out. Like the story of how the machines took over man is super, super interesting and well done in that in that animation. It's so it doubly disappointed me uh, seeing Reloaded and Revolutions based on their overarching story, which was already great. Yeah, those are clearly the the highlights of the Animatrix, the the second Renaissance and the the final flight of the Osiris. Yeah. Well, one of the highlights of Matrix Reloaded for me is the Merovingian. Yeah. Played by Lambert Wilson. Not really. I think he's a like such a <laughs> giant ham, but he's a yeah. fun Thank you. ham. Thank God. I was like, Sebastian, are you serious? No, I'm half and half here. You though. do and you aren't. Yes, I get it. I'm I totally half and get half it. here because I get he's it. a ham. This guy is just chewing Ooh. scenery. And he's yes. got like yes. gorgeous Monica Bellucci on his side as Persephone. They go <laughs> yeah. to this fancy restaurant to meet with this Merovingian. One of the things that I think is kind of a flaw of this movie is once we get into the actual plot of like the key maker and we need these keys to open these doors and stuff like that, like it's fine. It's serviceable kind of MacGuffin-y plot, but what does it have to do with anything in the end? Like it's just a bunch of nonsense to get them running around 
But they do end up talking to this Merovingian guy, and there's this friggin' amazing scene, which is either the best or most tasteless scene you've ever seen in a major blockbuster, where he's talking about causality. We're getting this endless philosophical (laughs) mumbo-jumbo about causality. But the way he illustrates this is he points out this sexy blonde Mm. across the dining room. He sent her a cake, and she's eating this cake, and then... She has an orgasm and we see it like Matrix style (laughs) with all the scrolling green symbols and numbers and letters and stuff like we zoom right into her, you know what, and then see this like explosion. (laughs) It's like, wow, I just witnessed a digital orgasm in a hundred fifty million dollar movie. You kind of got to give it to the Wachowskis for that. That's fucking balls. I agree. (laughs) And it's absurd. The whole scene is absurd. It's so not necessary. Like, I'm with you, Sebastian. The Merovingian is like, he's kind of cool. I kind of like him. And yet he's so over the top and he's just such a fucking ham. And the whole part with the cake, (laughs) I appreciate that there's like orgasm cake in this movie. Like, I don't. How can you not? (laughs) I don't want to lose it. But it's so inappropriate for the movie I've come to see. It has nothing to do with anything. And like, it's not a good example of what he's trying to explain, right? Like you don't need to like give a girl orgasm cake to explain cause and effect. Like we're all adults, right? I get it. Like, Can you imagine like if you were a dad and you've got your like kids <laughs> with you to see that? Like, daddy, what is going on with that cake? They wouldn't even know. It would, like, yeah, you wouldn't even, it's just like, she really likes the cake kids. Uh, if they were like 12 or 13, that'd be a difficult <laughs> conversation on the ride home. Uh. One of the directors is saying one thing and the other one's like, can I put my orgasm cake in this scene? Is this the scene I can put it in? And they're like, okay, I guess he's talking about this, but all right, put it in. I just picture the the dad driving the family home and and one of the kids is like, can we get cake? And he's like, absolutely not. No. Exactly. And the mom's like, "Mm." the mom's like, I could, I haven't had cake in a while. And then this scene leads to this ridiculous scene in the bathroom where Persephone demands that Ugh. Neo kiss her like he kisses Trinity. I mean, I guess it's like, you know, we're trying to keep the thread of the romance going. And so Trinity's going to get all jealous. See, again, it doesn't work. It doesn't work in the first one. And it's pretty thin out here, I think. Well, the problem is, is because Carrie Ann Moss, who I think is a really good actor and I think is really great as Trinity and really iconic and all that stuff. Yeah. But she's playing everything so like. Like, don't you touch him. Like, so tough that, like, I'm not Mm -hmm. getting what I'm supposed to be getting. Like, is she jealous? Does she? I mean, if if she is so stone cold, can't she just be like, all right, go ahead. I feel like that would be more true to her character to be like, have fun. Because she knows Neo is not going to run off with her. Like, if she's she's so tough, why doesn't she just let it slide? Well, it is Monica Bellucci making out with your bow. So, like, come on, you will be pretty jealous. But I get what you're saying. It just seems weird for the character that we're expected to see this super stoic badass chick it's like she's saying she's jealous she's like i am jealous like i'm a robot or something you know like (laughs) okay well you're saying it but i ain't seeing it right well quick fun fact in the video game when you you play as niobe and her partner ghost right they also go see monica bellucci i can't say her last name bellucci Bellucci. am i saying it right okay bellucci they actually shot scenes where they go in the bathroom and she wants kisses from them too. Oh, nice. And so that's her thing, huh? This, her thing is like taking strangers into the bathroom and kissing them. I wish she'd take me into the bathroom and kiss me. Sebastian, haven't you been to LA parties where everyone does that? Come on. Like. I do love the urinal in that bathroom though. It's just like a waterfall that you pee on. And I was like, that's pretty cool. <laughs> 
I have peed in those waterfall urinals. It's pretty cool. The thing that really bugs me about this whole experience is when I watched this scene, I was like, oh, man, this Merovingian dude, he's going to have a point, right? And this kiss, this kiss has some point. Like, yeah. she's yeah. taking a power from him or something's happening. Nope. And then when you finish the whole movie, the, the two parts, you realize it has nothing to do with anything. Like, why are we wasting time in the bathroom kissing? This is my whole reason that I'm angry at the third movie. No, you're you're totally right, Chris, except I do like the kissing scene in the bathroom because it's kind of like... Right, but right. it doesn't pay off in the third movie. We get to the third nope. movie and they're just sitting there like nothing happened and we oh, get that man. super pointless scene. I can't wait to complain about that. Anyway, yeah, the, there is no point to their characters ultimately, which is frustrating. However, my favorite thing in maybe all the Matrix movies is what happens after this because... Persephone takes them through all these crazy back doors to their chateau, which is like on top of a mountain or somewhere in the Matrix. They've got these albino twins that are bodyguards that were featured heavily in all the marketing materials because they were like the cool new characters. They don't really amount to much at all, so unfortunately. Lame. They're kind of the Boba Fett of the Matrix yeah. movies. No way. Come on. Boba Fett's way cooler. These guys, yeah. honestly, when you talk about the, the aesthetic of the Wachowskis, white guys with dreads. That's all I have to say. I mean, like, come on. Like, ugh, they're not scary. I mean, come on. From a design sense, they're not as cool as Boba Fett, but they do more than Boba Fett does in, yeah, in any okay, of the three fine, yeah. original movies. Sure. They're fine. I, I don't like it when they turn into those terrible CGI ghosts. Oh, I love it. You love it? <laughs> It's terrible, man. What are you talking about? Like the CG has aged at this point, but that CG looked pretty good when it when it when it came out. And I I love that there's like these twin brother ghost assassins that you can't kill. I love the idea of it. Yes. Yes. The, the idea, idea of it cool. is cool, but the CG is terrible now. Yeah. It's aged badly. Not even aged badly. It was bad then. No, I don't. I mean, look, I'm not going to nitpick that because I can't really picture a good version of that CG effect. I can. You know what a good version of that is, is you see it sometimes when they're fighting, they just kind of get blurry and move around. Like that's all they needed it's to like do. It's like in Dune when they have the shields exactly. on. That's the way to do it. It. They should have yeah, just gotten yeah. blurry and see-through. Mm -hmm. You didn't need to go with it. Yeah. They become these like monsters with teeth. Yeah. Yeah. They look like the ghosts at the beginning of Ghostbusters, the librarian ghosts. Yes, yes. exactly. <laughs> In a cartoon version. Yeah. I agree. It's a little goofy. It's a little goofy, but I still like it. I think they're goofy to begin with. And then when they turn into the ghosts, it's like Scooby-Doo for me. I'm like, okay. <laughs> but wait, Sebastian, you're going to, you're going to say how this is the best action scene ever put on film, right? The fucking Chateau fight, I love it. I love it so much. Rodney, you often talk about, oh, what would be the scene in this movie that I would show somebody? That's usually right. a criticism you levy at movies to say they're bad because they don't have a yep. scene like that. Yep, they don't have that scene. I feel like this movie has two pretty fucking awesome scenes, and neither yes. of them are the burly brawl, in my opinion. I love the Chateau fight. I think it's one of the best fights, if not the best fight in all of the Matrix series. And I'll tell you why. Because we're getting all these sort of like henchmen of the Merovingian going after Neo. We get all these Asian style weapons, which are all over the walls. We get this awesome set that's got like a big staircase and everything. 
and the dudes can like run on the walls and stuff like that. So we're getting this gravity defying shit. So we're getting all the cool like wire foo and flipping around and all the things that they had vanguarded or whatever in the original Matrix. But now they're pushing it up to another level. And like visually, it's just so much fun to look at. I love Neo's costume in Reloaded. I like it way more yeah. than his trench coat in the first movie. And then the third movie, he goes in and out of some outfits. But I love this like clerical monk's robes yep. he's wearing. Fucking awesome. It's a cool silhouette. Yeah. And it works when he's doing the fighting too, it which looks is like awesome. odd. You wouldn't think that would look good. No. Like a priest kicking ass wouldn't look cool, but he makes it look cool. He makes it look so fucking cool. The way it like flares out on his legs when he kicks and stuff. I just think it looks amazing. I can watch this scene all the time and I just fucking love it. It doesn't compare to the car chase for me. I'm with Chris. I like this chateau fight my number one complaint is it's a little bloodless hmm. which like it's weird because it's an r-rated movie right and i get that like they're digital but like do people do bleed but they're using like swords and shit i kind of wish it was a little more violent but from like a stylistic viewpoint it's really cool like some of the shots are just so fucking cool but for me it's the car chase the, the car chase is to this day, I think the best action scene ever filmed. Wow. Old statement. I think it's close. I think it's arguable. It's it's up there. It's definitely in the list. I also love the highway chase. Again, goes on too long. No, this I totally disagree. That's what makes it awesome. That's what's so fucking cool is that it's unrelenting. It's the main course. In fact, the rest of the movie just exists to get me to this part. Yeah, I have to say, when I rewatch it, I don't go... This is too long. I go, that was just right. It's just when it gets to Morpheus fighting on top of the truck, and it's only because it's so obviously green screen. Like, yeah, sure. The whole chase up to that point has looked so real. I mean, yeah. it's a little dated now. You can kind of tell that a lot of the cars are digital. Like when that one agent right. like jumps on that one car. Yeah. yeah. I remember that was a big trailer moment. It's a cool idea. It's really cool. Yeah. At the time, it was mind-blowing. I was yeah. like, wow. It just looks dated now because we've seen a lot of things like uh -huh. that a million times and they've perfected that kind of digital stunt double look i'm not going to throw shade at the whole sequence it's pretty fucking good it's just once we get to the end and it's a lot of of uh lawrence fishburne flying around on top of a truck i'm kind of like okay we can wrap this up and, Fair he's, enough. and he's a little heavier in this movie and i'm not quite buying that he's still the most badass morpheus you know he's kind of like you can tell like the wires are straining maybe a little <laughs> bit <laughs> they're like we need an extra guy on the wire to lift up uh lawrence fishburne oh poor lawrence he keeps hitting the catering and we're having a little trouble holding him up here. Yeah, those those Matrix One royalties went to his belly a little bit too much. I think he was. No, nah, like, you know, look, I mean, it would have gone to mine too. I'm not throwing shade at him either, but you know what I'm saying. I agree, though. Yes. You know, it's interesting because this same year Terminator Three came out, and Terminator Three, I know, you know, isn't considered a great movie or whatever, but that movie that chase is good has too. a fucking sick car chase in it where the Terminator is in a fire truck. In that movie, it's just the destruction. Like, it's a fucking yes. chase where so much shit gets wrecked that you're like, wow. Like, so much shit gets wrecked. The, f the fun fact that that came out the same summer, I remember, like, almost being like, I kind of preferred... Terminator 3, just because I was so over the Wachowskis' use of slow motion, 
after a while, I was like, okay, I get it. This is cool. You're showing it to me from six different angles. Whereas, and then Terminator 3 came in like a breath of fresh air because it was like, we're going to run right through a building with this fire truck ladder and it's going to last 10 seconds. And then on to the next thing. And I was like, wow, refreshing and cool because it's not, you didn't show it in slow motion for like five minutes and... I feel like that's what the Wachowskis were doing here, too, is a little... I mean, I don't want to throw shade at this particular scene, but the slow motion gets a bit much after a while. I do love it, though, and I come back to it all the time, and I fucking love the music. I love that... Like techno song. When Trinity gets the motorcycle and then revs it off of the vehicle that carries the motorcycles, and you get that... She's in the air and yeah. then lands. Yeah, that's it, man. So good. When she's like weaving through traffic coming in yeah. the other direction, it's so dope. So good. And I mean, again, now when you watch it, you can kind of tell the cars are digital or whatever. Yeah. I'm nitpicking. When it goes yeah. through it, yeah, you're like, come on. But still, it's awesome. It's badass, yeah. Well, I just love that they finally, you know, they had done wire foo and guns, but they hadn't done a car chase in right. the first one. So I think that's what's most refreshing about this is like, look. We're in the Matrix, we can do crazy shit, and now it's gonna be on a fucking highway, and that's what makes this fresh, whereas like every other scene with kung fu or guns is starting to get stale for me. I'm sorry. Even though it's like done even better and like longer, it doesn't mean it's better. So that's the reason this scene is the crown jewel for me, is because it's something new. The guns definitely are getting old with me at this point, and even in 2003, because it's the gun violence thing had sort of begun in earnest I was more happy to see stuff like this where we'd be getting car chases and fights with knives instead of guns and stuff like Mm -hmm. that so I honestly and I know this is going to be controversial but Reloaded is my go-to Matrix movie now and it's because of these scenes I accept that the original movie is a better movie. But for rewatch, you're like, I'll put this on. Yeah, when I want to put on Matrix and just be psyched about the Matrix, I put on Reloaded and I watch the Chateau fight and I watch this fucking chase and even the Burley And the brawl. cake scene. And the cake scene. Mm-hmm. It's my go-to. It's my favorite one of the three, honestly. And that's not to say it's the best, but it's my favorite. Got it. I'll kind of agree with that, yeah. And it's why I can't really say it's a bad movie. It's why when people are like, oh, Reloaded sucks, I'm like, I love Reloaded, like, and I still kind of do. No, this movie this movie is really awesome. It, it just has some unfortunately long scenes. It's a little messy, and it sets up things that don't get paid off, I acknowledge. But again, if, if you sat through this movie and you said, I didn't enjoy that car chase, I don't really want to talk to you anymore because you're a <laughs> fucking liar, all right? That car chase is fucking amazing. And everything after it, I like I like all the shit that happens after it too. We gotta talk about what happens after it before Let's we talk move about on it. to revolutions. So this film has a sort of famous climax in that Neo ends up going to this character, the architect, and the architect is this dude in a white suit who sits in this room and there's just a million like little TV screens. So we're seeing a million little Neos and stuff in the TV screens. And it's actually become an iconic sort of image. So I definitely give it props for that. I also have to bring up 
the amazing Will Ferrell SNL parody. Yes. Oh, it's so good. It's so good that for a while I thought that's what really happened in the movie. Like I kept thinking, like, <laughs> doesn't Will Ferrell show up at the end? And like, yeah, they did an amazing parody of this sequence where they just cut in bits of the movie into it. But we get a completely bonkers, the true nature of the one revealed. And on one hand, it's cool because we're finding out that what Neo thought all along wasn't true. And this is going to definitely pertain into the next movie, that he's actually the seventh version of this idea that keeps coming up. And every time the machines destroy Zion, but the one gets to choose a, a certain amount of people and then they repopulate Zion, which made sense out of something that in the first movie I was kind of like, huh? Because in the first movie, Morpheus talks about how like somebody pulled a bunch of us out of the Matrix and we build Zion from it. I'm like, how the fuck does that work? Like you've made this crazy underground city like with a handful of people. Like that doesn't make <laughs> any sense to me, but whatever. But this actually helps that make a little bit more sense. Zion has been there before and they're allowing this to happen which I like. It was something I chafed up against when I first saw the movie. I'm like, what, the machines and people are working out this deal or whatever? But now I've come to kind of appreciate that because that's honestly the way things work. Like, you don't end up just destroying the Empire forever. So wait, are we supposed to believe that Zion hasn't been destroyed seven times? And is this just the Matrix has been reset seven times so that the people the old people in zion have known that the matrix has been rebooted or no no zion has actually been destroyed six times okay yeah. so yeah so and they literally choose the the machines create zion and put the people there i don't actually know if the machines rebuild zion or yeah, if they like how does zion come there because yeah you can't just free 500 people or this whatever. is happening over like 10,000 years like they let the one or you know right. neo take like whatever, like 40 people out of the matrix or 20 some people. And then they have sex and that turns into whatever, you know, 80 people. And, and they live in some terrible cave and have horrible lives. And then eventually there's enough people to make Zion to make a new Zion. Yeah. Right. That sounds like a pretty painfully long and protracted process, man. It would really suck to be one of those first couple people. Yeah. Like you get pulled out of the matrix and you're like, I lived in a nice apartment. Yeah. Like, yeah, no shit. I had a fucking SUV, and now I live in a fucking like cave with broken wires. Yeah, you, you Cipher thinks he had it bad in the first Matrix. Like, Seriously. you're not getting any sweet steaks in the that version of Zion. You're not even getting that nope. crappy uh, gruel that they feed them in the Nebuchadnezzar. I do like the stuff that we're learning here, and I like the way this is sort of reframed. Yeah, it was fascinating at the time, but. Again, this speech just goes on and on and on and ergo. like ergo vis-a-vis -vis, or whatever. It's so yeah, ridiculous exactly. that it's just rife to be parodied. Like, how could you not parody? It's so silly yeah. and overdone. Again, if they could have whittled this down to what we need to know and not go off on all this tangential philosophical bullshit, this scene would be cool. It's the part where he starts being like, you know, I can tell there's little emotions happening within you and love is beginning to win the day or whatever he says. Mm -hmm. Again, it's just like you're, you're sitting there you're like, why, why is he still talking? Why does every fucking scene go on for eight minutes? Right. Yeah. But I'm with you that the idea that he's not the one 
it's just a big fucking trick and the machines have been winning the war for like a hundred thousand years is so fucking cool i was in the theater i was like you're blowing my mind man you're blowing my fucking mind sure please stop talking but does it ever pay off in revolutions? It never really. Well, it does. Comes to anything. Well, all right, what? I mean, you want me to jump ahead? <laughs> Are we going in? Yeah. Uh, to me, it doesn't really pay off. So, but yeah, we'll get to that. Well, why don't we just get into revolutions? Because the only real yes. sort of thing that we need to know after this is that Trinity has gone into the Matrix, even though Neo told her not to, to disable this thing. I don't know, whatever. It's a whole MacGuffin-y, bullshitty right. type of plot thing. She ends up getting shot by this guy and by one of the agents and Neo has been having these dreams throughout the movie where he's seen her death so he knows that she's going to die if she doesn't help her so he has to make a choice the Matrix movies love the choice idea so Neo's got to choose Trinity choose to save her but that's going to damn humanity to complete extinction according to the architect so he flies off and he rescues her but she dies anyway and so now he like reaches inside her body and pulls out the bullet and he saves her life and then in the real world the Nebuchadnezzar gets toasted by sentinels or whatever and then Neo realizes he can stop the Sentinels in real reality. With his mind. With his mind. So he not only has powers in the Matrix, but he has powers outside the Matrix. This puts him into a coma. And then we also learn, we've seen this other character, Bane, which is hilarious that this character is named Bane. And then we got Bane and Batman. I will say this about this character. Smith has found a way to inhabit a body in the real world. I think it's kind of goofy. However, this dude, whoever he is, some Australian actor, he nails it. Yeah, nails it. Like he has, yep. he has the cadence down so much that later on in Revolutions, we get this endless scene where he's talking to Neo and he's holding a knife to Trinity, and you're like. Dude, he's fucking. Yeah, Agent how does Smith. he not get it? He yeah, even calls exactly. him Mr. Anderson. No one calls Neo on, Mr. Anderson exactly. anywhere but inside the Matrix. Yeah, it's pretty. It's like super Clark Kent. You're I like, know, it's like, on, dude, it's figure it out. And then he's like, finally, he's like, <laughs> Agent Smith. Like, it just makes me think that Neo is the dumbest person dumbest, yeah. on the fucking planet. <laughs> Well, he's a, how could he possibly have escaped the Matrix? Yeah, I think to his credit, this is not a thing that's ever happened before. No one's right. ever like in, like taken over someone's body in the real world. You sure. Know? Why are you doing but... an impression of Mr. Smith? <laughs> that's what he would be. He would be like, why have you? Why are you acting like Mr. Smith, right? Agent Smith, yeah. Agent Smith, sorry. Man, they really, I feel like they really don't handle this Bane character well in part two, right? Like, you like meet him for eight seconds before he gets taken over by Agent Smith. Yes. And then, like, that you forget about him for, like, 40 minutes, and then he shows back up. And, like, it's it's just enough for you to be like, yeah, I get it. He's Agent Smith now in the real world. But, man, what, like, five minutes would that guy would have done ahead of time if you knew Bane as a person, you know? That's true of all the characters that they've yep. added in Reloaded to yes. set up in Revolutions. And none of it works, and it's the whole problem with Revolutions, yes. really, is that Absolutely. they did not put the time in with these characters for us to give a shit about them. So yes. now we're going into Matrix Revolutions, and we're going to have a whole chunk of the movie dealing with these characters who we do not give a fuck about. Not give about a shit about. At Let me ask you guys a question. Are there any new characters between the two movies that you do like? I like Link. 
He's a good addition. Okay. Yes, Harold Perrineau. Yes, Link is cool. Well, he was supposed to be Tank. Yeah, yes. Tank was there. The whole controversy. You explain it. Tank got a little too big for his britches and was like, after the Matrix came out, was like, "I'm king of the world," and was like, I don't know. He was running his mouth off and like saying, like, "I'm gonna have a huge part in the next movie," and he just became insufferable and he wanted a ton of money to be in the next movie. And they were like, "Fuck you! You're a side character. We'll just say you died and get another guy who's a better yep. actor than you." And I'm fine with Link. Like, I don't care that Link has replaced Tank. I do like him. Yeah. I like Harold Perrineau. And so, and the sister, his he's married to Tank's sister, who is actually Marvin Gaye's daughter. Yeah, Nona Gaye. In real life, right? Yeah. I didn't know that. So there's a little bit of connection there, at least. And I like Niobe because it's Jada Pinkett Smith. Like, she seems like she could be a cool, badass character. I love her, like, brown snakeskin outfit or whatever. Yeah. If they had given her an actual scene in Reloaded where she did something super badass, then I would love her going into Revolutions, but they don't. She saved Morpheus at the in the car chase. I mean, Right, right. That's true. You had to play the video game. With saving Morpheus, he landed Landed on a soft car, which foreshadows all the soft car landings in Fast and Furious. <laughs> that was the first time someone landed on a soft car. Like, That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> I will say I know he's very he's very one note, but I do like the like the army commander dude, whatever his name is. Mafune. I'm sorry, I like Mafune too, but I met like the the guy the is it Harry Lennox? Is oh, that his I name? hate uh, him. He's the guy you I like hate him. in the movie. <laughs> I like him as an actor, but I don't like his character. He's the wet blanket. You know, I'm not saying I want to hang out with him. I'm just saying that, like, I like that. I like his, I like he's a good um, counterpart to Morpheus. I just like how he's like, talk to him. He's the one who believes in miracles. I like that part. That's a good line. But most of the time, I'm just like, oh, shut up, dude. In general, every single character is just, like, introduced in such a way that, like, they aren't a person, right? Yep. They're just like... I know nothing about any of these people. Like, Even the kid that got that got oh the, the pulled kid out. Is, the kid is he terrible. sucks, and and we got oh, we got a little bit of backstory in the Animatrix, and even then I still don't care about him. He's terrible. No, dude, that kid's got to go. He's horrible. Kid, yeah, if he had died, I might have liked the movie. <laughs> the thing about Matrix Revolutions, like, is that a big chunk of it is clearly supposed to be a war movie, and they're going for yes. those war movie cliches. And in every war movie, there's the kid who's like, I want to help. Yeah, like I'm going into fight. And like he worships Neo and everything. I mean, I think it's not a bad idea, but just that kid is dialed up so high. And he's not even a kid. He's probably like 30. And they're just everyone's yeah. calling him the kid. And and it's like, hey, Neo, oh, I want to get in there and fight Mr. The Chancellor or whatever. <laughs> Give it's me like, a ugh. chance. Give me a chance, guys. They should have given him a bum leg on top of it just to make it yeah. even more cliche. <laughs> You know, the, the war movie aspect really reminded me of Aliens. The more and more I watched it. Yeah. You know, the, Even the music dun, cues. Dun, 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 like yes, exactly. It sounds like Aliens. The loader machines are Aliens. There's aliens is all over this movie. The whole, anytime someone's yelling, it reminds me of Hudson's death and like where they're yelling and they're getting killed. And I'm just like, these guys have seen Aliens a bunch and they just want to like kind of pay tribute to it, which I tip my hat to, but it's, Honestly, one of the most annoying parts of the movie. But yeah, but it's not fun. Like no, Aliens it's terrible. is fun. It's, exactly. Let's just talk about the whole let's forty just, minute Zion, Zion attack. attack. Yeah, Ugh. because it is interminable. It is easily the lead weight in the entire Matrix mm -hmm. franchise. This is the wow. thing that sinks yes. the whole exactly. ship. Yes, the whole fucking ship. Agreed. 
I accept that there needs to be an attack on Zion, but the way this is done, first of all, we're following characters we don't fucking care about. Not a single fucking character from the original movie is in this whole 40 minutes of movie, so I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck about anything that's happening. Not one thing. I don't care about the kid trying to load <laughs> Mifune's loader. Don't fucking nope. care. He never runs out don't of ammo anyway. That they need to open the fucking door. I don't fucking care that Niobe and Morpheus are going through the conduit or whatever. Could not give a shit. I don't nope. fucking care. I don't care about Z and her lesbian friend. I don't even know what they do. I kind of cared about that. Z gets the laser gun or whatever and shoots the guy so that the kid can shoot the thing. And when she holds her to tip over to, to fire the rocket in, that was kind of cool. I might care about these characters if they had taken the time to yes, give them scenes yes. or make me give a shit, but I so don't give a shit. And on top of that, while... The special effects are fucking impressive, okay? They are impressive, yes. and they still hold mm -hmm. up. I was yeah, watching yeah. this shit in 4K. Those squiddies attacking mm -hmm. still look fucking good. However, as Jen would put it, this is battle fatigue in filmic form yes. more than anything I've ever seen. And mm -hmm. I, I remember feeling this way when I first saw it. I did not see Matrix Revolutions, shockingly, in the theater. I think it was more because I had oh. money problems at the time. And then, <laughs> well, but then it came out and everyone was like, it sucks. I mean, right. the, the response that, yeah. to this was so overwhelmingly bad. And I was kind of like, oh, okay, I guess I'll just wait for a video. And that's what I did. Wise use of money. It's so fucking overkill, and I don't care <laughs> about anything that's happening. And you know what? I'm here to see a movie called The Matrix Something. Where's the fucking Matrix in this? Like, I don't want to be in fucking Zion. Mm -hmm. Zion sucks. It's not even fun. <laughs> it's like a shitty chronicle. It's, like, it's not even as fun as, like, the bad parts of Chronicles of Riddick. This place sucks. <laughs> I don't want to be here. Everyone's dressed in shitty clothes. I could yep. be hanging out in the fucking Matrix where everyone's wearing cool cleric costumes, yes. running up fucking goddamn chateau walls with fucking ninja swords, and I gotta watch this boring shit? Fuck this part of the movie. It sucks. Rodney, tell me I'm wrong. I mean, look, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say a controversial thing, but I fucking love the battle for Zion. Like, <laughs> I fucking love it. <laughs> That doesn't mean I don't I, – I agree with a lot of what you're saying. I think it sucks that none of those people are people I care about. Like, it'd be way better if Morpheus were in the battle, right? I hate the kid. I do like Captain Mifune or whatever, who's barely a character. Yeah, he's cool. But he doesn't do any – all he does is dress down the kid, and then he turns into a badass. Ah, all he does is scream and shake the freaking – oh, I hate it. So annoying. He could have been so much cooler. Just as an action set piece, I think this is spectacular. It's not as good as the car chase from part two, but watching the machines just like rip this fucking city apart and the, the effects are so good. And I love the dudes in the mech suits with their machine guns. And look, I get that. I feel like I'm alone on this. I Most people don't agree with me, not just on this podcast, but elsewhere. But that's a good fucking action scene, man. I do not care about the two women running around with the rocket launchers. Every time it cuts to them, I'm like... They're the only ones doing anything. The rest of them are just shooting squid sentinels until the cows come home and go back out again. Who the fuck cares? It's completely inconsequential. They can shoot and shoot and shoot and yell all they want, and then nothing changes. And why don't they just fucking swarm these fucking mechs? 
I don't understand. It's just like, it's like the Galaga challenging stage where all you're doing is shooting and shooting and shooting and shooting and nothing actually happens. Like, it's so insufferable to me. I don't know what to say other than just like, I remember sitting in the theater just being enthralled by this. From the minute they crack through the ceiling, basically, look, I can just sum up, because we're gonna have to go back and talk about a bunch of shit. But when it comes to Matrix Revolutions, the first half of the movie is so painful for me. Like, I just can't stand it. And then from the moment the machines break into Zion till the credits roll, I am fucking in. And I fucking love it. I will come back to pay some respects to the end of Matrix Revolutions, but you're not getting it from me here. This is boring. Yeah. Boring shit. What do you mean it's boring? You think it's... You well, genuinely it's think, totally boring. It's boring. You think it's boring when all the, the squids, like, swarm the radio tower? It's just... watching a video game where you're not playing it, and you don't even like any of the characters that you don't even get to play. But I, it's not What's I, good about it? I don't have to... What's good about it? It, well, I don't understand. Like, I do not understand. You might as well be talking another language. I do not understand <laughs> how you can find this at all captivating. Because, well, I can, look, I can explain it. One, I have met these characters before. They're not like just strangers. I do technically know a lot of these people from the previous film, right? But also, it's not really about those people. This is the last of humanity, because Neo makes the choice at the end of part two, where he's basically like, I'm not going to go back into the, into the Matrix. If Zion falls this time, humanity will be wiped out. I get That's that. what you're watching. You're I not, get I'm it. not watching like, will Captain Mifune live? I'm like, will they save the day? Yeah, but you know what? I also know I'm watching a movie and this isn't real and that these are all fake CGI things. But that applies to every movie. Yes, but if you don't give me characters I care about, then I don't care because it's not real and I know Neo's gonna save the day at the end and it just doesn't fucking matter. It feels so pointless. And like Chris said, half the shit that happens, who fucking cares? Like, and if this is the last of humanity, then fucking kill us. Because... <laughs> Like, these people suck. The council are very nice people. I'm not sure why they didn't just pull a Return of the Jedi and have Neo going to the Zero One city at the same time in Crosscut. It was a choice. final battle. It's kind of like, it, it lowers the stakes. And so I'm like, just pull from the fucking Return of the Jedi playbook, which they do by having... You know, Han was frozen in carbonite. Neo is in a coma. I get it. They're doing the same playbook, but now they just like ruin it by like having it be inconsequential. And so I don't. Know. I look, Chris. I agree with you, man. I, I I think one of my big complaints is that like when the battle finally ends, it cuts to Neo like in the ship, and I'm like, oh, I forgot Neo's in this movie. Yeah. Like it's been like 45 minutes without right. Neo. Exactly. And I have no idea why we're not cross-cutting. That seems like an obvious thing to do. It would build the tension more. It would make it feel like there's a race against time. Instead, it's just kind of like the battle ends and it creates this, instead of ramping up, it causes the movie to kind of like lose steam. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to disagree with that. I just, I'm just really big on mech suits versus deadly robot squids. Yeah, I think you just like watching epic CG I do. inconsequentially fight each other. So that's fair enough. That is what you get. But to me, it's really boring. We were talking a lot in some of the other podcasts, the Wachowski podcasts, about how the Wachowskis, whatever you want to say about them, they make choices. They make clear choices. Yeah. And they don't always work. They yeah. don't always work. And I don't feel in this situation it works. I feel like, like you were saying, Chris, and Rodney, you're even agreeing, this needed to be cross-cut. And they clearly were like, no, we don't want to do this. We want to give you 40 minutes full-on war sequence. But they just 
really didn't think it through well enough because if they were going to do that, they needed to give us people from the original movie, the heroes that we have come to see and love. We needed to be following at least one of them in this situation because the characters they have here just aren't good enough for me to give a shit. I think the Wachowskis must hire people to put on boxing gloves and just beat them for like 30 minutes at a time because that's like they like the burly brawl. They like this scene, you know, I mean, like I think that they like visual battle fatigue punishment because obviously that's what we're getting and the rest of us don't like it. And they thought. We would. Well, I think they were pushing the envelope here. I mean, it makes sense to me in a way, like, because I can see, like, they really wanted to, like, make this the most, like, crazy, spectacular battle sequence anyone had seen in 2003. And maybe on some level they succeeded because obviously, like, Rodney was really captivated by it. You know, it's got the most amount of things coming at you that right. any movie had done <laughs> at that time. Yes. They, like, out Lucas Lucas big time. Yeah. Like, there's more shit going on here in even than even in like Attack of the Clones or whatever. So I think that's what they were trying to do. And they just didn't want to cut away from it because they were just like, we're throwing it all in here. And I just think it ultimately right. turned out to be a bad choice. But they do cut away with from it because they keep cutting back to Morpheus and Niobe, like flying the ship back to Zion, right? Right. But that's part of the same thing, though. It's related to that. That's fair. They're going to come through the door and that's why they've got to... You know, the whole objective of the battle, because they know that they can't just win, they have to have some kind of objective. So the objective is to let Morpheus and Niobe through this set of shield doors, which is really tight. And then they've got an EMP that they're going to set off, and that's going to at least destroy all of the machines that have gotten through. It's not that I'm I'm confused or surprised, but like in a way I am because... If you just said, hey, Rod, do you want to just sit down and watch the entire battle for Zion again? I'd be like, absolutely. Let's do it right now. I'd love it. No way. It was torture watching it this time. I just watched it a few hours ago, and I was like, oh, this is so laborious. Well, you're wrong. You're totally wrong. You need to watch it again. Hey, I watched it in the theater, so I can actually say that, you know, that I felt the same way as Sebastian. It wasn't like, oh, you didn't see it in the grand theater or anything like that. Well, let's go back to the beginning of the movie and talk a little bit about what happened. So yeah, let's talk about the beginning of this fucking thing. Ugh. Woo! I agree with you, Rodney. The beginning is a mess, but at least it has the matrix in it. So I find a little more to enjoy here. Yeah. But this whole setup in the beginning, you know, you're off to a bad start in this movie because Neo is in a coma. And then we find out that in this coma, he is somehow connected to the Matrix, even though he hasn't been physically jacked in like you need to be. And he is trapped in this train station cleverly named Mobile Ave. Now, do you guys know what happens if you change the letters around in Mobile? You know what you get? Do you know what you get? Limbo. Did you catch that? Uh, I honestly didn't. Every time I watch this movie, I'm like, why did they choose to call it Mobile Ave? And now I just feel dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I admit it. I'm dumb. Side note. Did you know that uh, 12, 22, 21 is a palindrome? And that's why they're releasing Matrix Resurrections on oh, 12, 22, 21. That I did not 
I did not know. So Neo is trapped in limbo and the movie like basically begins with him having this conversation with this little Indian girl and this Indian <laughs> girl belongs to this Indian family and they're like programs or something. It's like, why are we doing this now? This seems like such a like complete waste of time. Help me out here. They're inoperative data pushers. This like, look, I think. As far as like little kid actors go, she's not bad. She's she's okay. Sure, well, she's cute. Yeah, I think that the in, the the dad, I think he's really good. I feel like I've seen him in something else. I don't know him. Regardless of that, this is so out of place. I was actually thinking as I was watching this time. I know it's standard in like a trilogy in the third movie to like introduce some new characters, right? Like that happens. But like the introduction of this Indian family is so irrelevant and out of place from where. We let like I waited six months, right? Because there were six months in between these two movies coming out. And the last thing I saw was like Neo stopped a bunch of machines with like his magic in the real world. Yeah. And I went into the theater and I'm like, here we fucking go. The end of the Matrix trilogy. Yes. And it starts, and there's an Indian family, and they're like, We're we're programs and we're like refugees, and we're in a magic train station. And I'm like, what the fuck's happening? Where's my movie? And they're like, programs can love. Love is just oh my a word. I can love, you can love. And like you call it one thing and I call it another thing, but love is love. And I'm taking my kid out to what out of the matrix or into the matrix. Like I I've seen this movie 80 times. I still don't know what the fuck's happening in the train station. Right. Like, where is this train station? They're like, it's in a place that's between the Matrix and reality. It's like, I think I need a little more information than that. So, like, you're saying there's another <laughs> dimension? I think it's like the idea is, right, there's the Matrix, but there's also a whole bunch of other servers that the machines use to do all kinds of shit, right? Like, right. sure. Whatever. And I guess it's just like, I think he says, like, my job is like, I main, I like run a water plant, right? Which uh -huh. it adds a whole other layer to things because it's like, does that mean he like actually, does that Indian guy go to like a fucking like water power plant every day and like pull levers and shit? Like, I don't. Yeah, but in reality, he's just a program doing it. But in the Matrix, he's a guy that does it. I mean, I can buy that. And so he had two programs like, like fucked and had a kid. And, uh -huh. but this happened outside of the Matrix. And then the machines were like, oh, we got to get rid of your kid. And they were like, we're going to smuggle her into the Matrix. Like, it's so bonkers, but okay, like, I'll buy it. This could be a good setup for, like, a whole different movie about the Matrix. Yes. But to, to, like, throw it in here. Like, if you made a movie about we need to protect this little girl in the Matrix, right? Okay, if that's your premise, if that's what we're doing. But that's not what we're doing in this movie. She has no relevance. You're right. That's where I thought, like, though, the architect and this whole side of the story would pay off, you know, and they're being like, all right, here, here's this other world that's not the matrix and is outside the matrix and you know that something else other than just the physical robots coming to kill zion and then keanu saving them i was like oh there's gonna be another twist there's gonna be something like the architect i thought this was it i was like oh okay i'm gonna buy into this like i'm, I'm trying to track this never pays off that yeah again it just makes me mad because i came in like you rodney going like fucking a all right let's see him stick this landing they said a lot of shit in that second movie that they have to deliver on and it's a wet fart it's like they don't even care about it they're like forget that right because like yeah there's so many things like that that they they just don't pay off the most sort of aggravating one for me is this next scene where morpheus and trinity go to the merovingians s m club 
And we yes. get this sort of shootout in the coat room, which is kind of fun because it's obviously a callback to the shootout in the lobby of in the first Matrix. And they're doing a lot of the same things, only this time all the S&M guys can like jump on walls and then their gravity doesn't mean anything in here. Okay, cool visually, but still it doesn't feel that cool because we've already seen much cooler shit than this, right? This scene is like, it's like cool by default because there's nothing else in the first hour that's even like an action scene. Yeah. yeah. And I got to just like nitpick a little bit because it makes no sense that they can like run on the ceiling, right? Because there's this whole speech in the matrix one about how like the, the world still has like rules and gravity and you have to like learn to like bend them. And I get that like Neo is an exception. I get he can fly and I'll even give agent Smith can fly, but no one else in this entire matrix universe should be able to walk on the ceiling upside down. That makes zero sense. Maybe they're upgraded. Sure. I'll, I mean, look, I'm just going to assume that, like, everyone associated with the Merovingian, like, are rule breakers, right? Uh, he yes. also has got, like, the ghost twins. Yeah, I think that's what it is. He's kind of got, like, werewolves that never yeah. actually turn into werewolves, right? So I will just accept that, like, he's also got some henchmen who can run on the ceiling. Yeah. But this scene is not as cool as it should be. I agree. I think the problem is, is that the room they're in is like the size of my spare bedroom, right? It's like this tiny little room and they're all shooting at each other. I'm like, you're fucking Trinity. Why can't you hit anyone? The thing that I like about it is anybody who's waited outside of a club and never gotten in, it's kind of cool just that they're like, I'm getting in this club and pulling out their guns and fucking shooting their way in. And I'm like, that's kind of cool. It's like they're coming into the, like, the most exclusive club they can get into just by sheer force. And I'm like, I appreciate that. Uh, we didn't really me mention the character of Seraph. Right, yeah. He's like the Oracle's bodyguard who comes with them on this mission. Yep. And he just feels like a big waste of a character also. Like, he's kind of like, he looks cool. He certainly looks cool. It's so funny because his character is introduced in one of the most useless scenes in the whole movie in uh, Reloaded. Oh, yeah. It's just to be cool. Like, we're going to fight. Okay. It's cool. You passed the test. That's enough fight for now. Yeah, no, you, you can fight. You clearly can fight. As if Seraph doesn't know that Neo can fight. Isn't that <laughs> all anyone knows about Neo is that he can fucking But he also fight? works with the Oracle. Like, how come he didn't have to fight Seraph in part one when he came to get yeah. chocolate chip cookies, right? Right, Like, exactly. wouldn't she just show him a picture and be like... We just need a cool fight scene. Yeah, that's all it is. Okay, so they get in the club and Merovingian is there with Persephone again and apparently they've worked worked out their differences you know we get another super hammy lambert wilson as the merovingian scene where he's chewing on olives from his martini the whole time i love that he's chewing on olives and he's got this badass like martini skewer it looks like really sharp like you could kill somebody with it i also have to say this like the S&M club in 2003, if this had been in the Matrix, maybe this would have been kind of edgy. But by like 2003, this all seems corny and cliched. I'm sorry. Like we'd seen S&M clubs in so many movies. So if they think they're blowing my mind that people are like walking around in like gimp masks and shit, like, yeah. sorry, not blowing my mind. That one guy that just stretches out and pulls his gun out and is just like yep. so over the top. I'm like, oh my God. 
God, this is so lame. Yeah. The lamest bunch of S&M people ever. Oh, I'm sorry. They don't look cool. They look corny. This needed to be way cooler. But that's not the most frustrating part. Because so they go to the Merovingian. They're, they're like, we need to get Neo out of this limbo. And in order to do that, this guy, the train man, is keeping Neo in the limbo. And the only reason I'm even bringing up the train man is because he's played by Bruce Spence, who's a great Australian character actor who's in like... up in every one of our movies. (laughs) Yeah, all the great franchise movies. He's in uh, the Road Warrior. He's in one of the Star Wars movies. He's in this. He's in other things, too. Like He's the mouth of Sauron. He's the mouth of Sauron in Lord, Lord of the Rings. So, yeah, he, he's in every great franchise somewhere. So they need to get him out of this train station. And so the fucking Merovingian's like, okay, I'll let you have him, but you've got to go get me the eyes of the Oracle. And you're like, cool. You mean they're going to have to go, like, rip out the, the Oracle's eyes and give them the Merovingian to get Neo? No, they're not going to do that at all. They've set up this whole side mission that they're not even going to do because... Trinity is just going to pull out her gun and be like, how about I just shoot you instead? And then he's like, okay, never mind. That is like Dude. screenwriting 101. You don't like set up something like that and then just be like, no, we're just not going to do that. She could have just held a gun at him at any time. Like, why didn't she just shut him up to begin with? Dude, this is this is literally my least favorite part of the whole movie. I'm pretty sure. I'm totally with you. They're like, we got to fight our way into the club to talk to the Merovingian. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, one, the Merovingian's coming back. Now we're going to find out who this guy really is. Yeah. We're going to get some more about Monica Bellucci. The train man, they set the train man up to be kind of cool. Like there's a scene earlier, right, where they they chase the train man through some, like a train station. It's kind of cool. It's like kind of cool. Kind of. It's kind of. <laughs> but I'm like, clearly we're going somewhere. And they go in the club and he's like, bring me the eyes of the Oracle. And in that moment, I remember I can, I'm like flashing back to 2003 and I'm like, oh my God. This is going to be amazing. And then she's just like, how about we don't do that? And he goes, okay, (laughs) that's fine. I was joking. It's like they got too tired. It's like the uncool version of India and Raiders of the Lost Ark when Harrison Ford shoots the guy with the sword because he was sick that (laughs) day. Only it's the lamest version of that possible. Like, no, we're not going to do that. It would have maybe been cooler if Trinity just pulled her gun out and killed the Merovingian. Yeah, that's what I wanted. Yeah. add on to how stupid it is, not only does he then just say, okay, he and Monica Bellucci... And the train man just disappear from the film and they are never seen again. That is the dumbest fucking thing ever. (laughs) I don't even get how that worked at script. I guess just that script. They just kept saying, just trust us. We made the Matrix. It's going to be fine. Yeah. Like how do people who made a movie as good as the Matrix in a screenplay as tight as the Matrix justify this to themselves? How did that conversation work? I guess they were just so high on their own supply. I mean, I think it's just one of those things like when you get enough fame and power and money people just tell you everything you do is great and they were probably like hey what if we just didn't do any of that and all the producers were like yeah great let's not do any of that we won't have to pay for it okay but like yeah it's just such a letdown it gives you this feeling that this whole endeavor is pointless you're just like i don't even get why i should care about anything that's happening because the characters don't even care (laughs) like they're not even going to care about what's going on yeah especially because he makes a big point of saying like you can't take the eyes of the oracle they have to be freely given that makes it even cooler sounding and then your mind just pictures 
the whole movie that you aren't going to get now. I, I just remember people also, you know, after The Matrix Reloaded, like reading fan theories and just being like, ooh, maybe it's a Matrix upon a Matrix or this and that. And, yeah. and they were all so much more jazzed by what they read or what they imagined than what we got in the third movie. And it's just really disappointing. I almost feel like they... You know, they had a smattering of ideas and a lot of a lot of them were good. A lot of them ended up in, you know, the Animatrix. But then, yeah, there's just no payoff. And like maybe if they had, you know, a series or something like that and they could just be like they had the room to explore any of this, maybe that would have been cool. But it's, there's just not enough room here and they're just stretching not a lot of story over four hours. And there's just not enough for the for the main characters that we love to do anything interesting it's just like common storytelling sense like you've made this like annoying french dude that like everyone hates why does he not die why does he or at least why is it why does he just disappear from your movie entirely right like i cannot forgive that i just sit there every time i watch it i'm just like oh my god like just this is killing me they promise a lot by bringing him in and it just doesn't pay off i don't even know if his if monica has a she has like one line maybe right she'll do it She's in love. <laughs> That's right. She doesn't say that. <laughs> Just like that. They're all like, like every S&M goer in the club has a gun and they're all pointing guns at each other. Yeah. And there's like, if you like focus too much on any of the extras holding guns, they look really goofy. I think one of you pointed that out. That's what I'm saying. All of the S&M people are like, these people are dorks. Like, I'm yeah. not feeling at all ed- that this is an edgy or arousing place. Exactly. I'm not afraid of any of these gimps. But yeah, I think this is... Uh... Man, this scene just breaks my heart because it's so it, the potential is so awesome. And then it just kind of fizzles and then it just like cuts to it just cuts to a train like pulling up to Neo and they're like, all right, we got you out of the magic limbo. All right, we're cool. And then after that, once Be- Neo is back on the whatever ship they're on, he's like, OK, guys, I just need to chill for a while and figure out what we're going to do. So he like kind of literally fucks off out of the movie. And then later he comes back and he's like, sorry, I took so long to figure things out. I got to go to the machine city. Yeah, he's like, I just need some time to think. And I'm like, what have you been doing in the fucking train station? I know. It's just structurally, this movie is off. It's really structurally bad. It's on these really rickety legs. It all is just threatening to topple at any moment. Yeah, so we should say that unfortunately, the actress who played the Oracle in the first two movies died during the filming of these two movies. So she must have just shot her scenes and in, in, uh, reloaded and they must have been doing it sort of in order because she died. So unfortunately, they had to replace her. They replace her with a decent enough actress of the same age. Although it's a little fucked up that like, Okay, so the Oracle could come back as anything, presumably, and she's just going to come up back as another, like, grandmotherly black woman. That's the Oracle's jam. If I was the Oracle, I might try something a little different. Come back as Brad Pitt. (laughs) I really hate all of this. It is unfortunate that the actress died, and I get, like, they had a problem they then had to solve. But the original actress is so good as the Oracle. Even in her bad scenes in part two, she's still pretty charming and very good, right? Yeah. And this new actress is just not doing it for me. I just, I'm sorry, you know? What I really hate is how, like, they take two or three separate scenes where they have to hammer into your face the fact that she now looks different. Yes. There isn't a scene in Harry Potter 3 where they explain why Dumbledore, they don't go like, hey, Dumbledore, you... Did you get a haircut? You look different. And it's the Matrix. She could totally look different. Like, it's it's a fucking Oracle. 
It's like Zool. Right. You yeah, know? dude. Like Zool. Gozer can look what whatever she wants to look like. It's. I feel like it would have been fine. But like instead, they do this whole thing where they're like, "You look different." She's like, "Oh, I made a choice. Made a new and the shell. choice had consequences. Yeah. And part of me was." Like, she doesn't really say destroyed, but the implication is that she got in trouble and the Merovingian later says, like, I basically punished her. And the punishment was, like, she had to look like a different black old lady, right? Like, that's, (laughs) like, what kind of punishment is that? Like, it doesn't seem like he did anything to her. I give them a pass, though. I mean, you know, it's, it's like Rise of Skywalker when somebody, you know, you're hamstrung by having an actor die. It's like... I can't really nitpick that. You know, they did what they could. I just feel like if they were going to do that, they needed to just do something completely crazy and have her be like uh, like a man or something. I mean, like, you know, they have the character mm. Switch who in the first movie, they get a lot of kudos for sort of approaching the trans issue even in the Matrix by having it be like, you know, somebody yeah. doesn't isn't necessarily attached to their gender or whatever. And, you know, obviously the Wachowskis have transitioned. So that makes sense that this would be something that would be on their minds. So why don't we just get the Oracle being like a man now and have it be like, what does it matter what my gender is or whatever Mm. like explore that idea dude i've got it they go to see the oracle right and the oracle is now like in a full gimp suit with like a ball (laughs) gag (laughs) and it's a guy and he's like oh oh, oh." like i can't understand (laughs) you you made a choice (laughs) that would be amazing the merovingian made me into one of his gimps i mean at least that would make sense more sense they make such a fucking point about how she did the world's whatever most dangerous thing and she paid the ultimate price and the ultimate price is you look different that's it mildly different not even that different mildly different yeah (laughs) and then we get this whole thing where smith finally tracks down the oracle and when he's talking to her, I guess we're to presume that she's his mom or something because he's like, you should know you made me mom or whatever. I always wondered about this line because I don't know if he's calling her mom in a sarcastic way or does he really mean like, you know, she gave birth to him. And I all- think it's implied that she really did. Like she's okay. some kind of program that he came from. I feel like her and the architect are the mother and father, right? Yeah. Yeah. I guess he does say that. I took it literally. Yeah, Yeah, it's literal. Okay. Basically, Smith kills the Oracle by replicating himself into her. And we get this really weird bit of comedy where once Smith becomes the Oracle or or whatever's happening, honestly, I'm not completely (laughs) 100% certain. But then Hugo Weaving does this really goofy laugh where he's like... Yeah. 60s Batman or something like we haven't really talked about Hugo weaving. Oh, yeah, we haven't fucking love Hugo weaving. I've loved him since I first saw him in Priscilla Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. You know, in that movie, he plays a drag queen and he just does a such a convincing job that I just sort of assumed that he was at least gay or something. And then he shows up in the Matrix and he's this amazing villain. And I was just like, fucking love this guy i mean he's got the one of the best faces in show business as far as i'm concerned love him as elrond and lord of the rings i even loved him as the red skull and captain america i just love hugo weaving and i gotta say agent smith is top 10 villain for me maybe top five i love his speeches 
his speech in the matrix where he's talking about how you humans, you stink. You're a virus. I just love, love, love agent Smith. I'm bummed that he's not in the new movie. Frankly. I mean, I know it would be kind of weird because he's probably a lot older at this point. Probably just doesn't really look the same, but he's the saving grace of this movie for me. I mean, this scene is goofy, but I just, I'm always happy when he's on screen. I love the guy. I completely agree. Agent Smith is amazing. Hugo Weaving is amazing. For the most part, I love all the scenes with Agent Smith. We can talk about the, there's there's some parts where he talks a little too much, which again, is just applicable to every character in these movies. But I'm with you. This scene where he takes over the Oracle is weird. I guess they're saying that like when he takes her over, it's like up to now, he's just been like turning into random schmoes in the Matrix. But like, now he's gained the powers of the Oracle and he now can like see the future. And that's why he's laughing. I guess he's laughing because he's he believes he now has won. All the like the shit in the room starts flying around and all the other Agent Smiths like seem scared of him. And I just don't understand. I just don't like I, I get it, but I don't get it. You're 100% right. What it's supposed to be is like a power up, like, oh, he's gotten a new power. Like if this is a video game, he would have reached some new level. But the movie doesn't really give you any explanation of what he's gained. And it's too bad that the original actress died because at least if she had been in the scene, you might have felt a little sad. But because it's this new actress, you're like, "Eh, I don't care. She already (laughs) died anyway. You know, what's the big? No big. I mean, she'll just come back again right and she does come back at the again at the end of the movie which is a real head scratcher because you're like okay i guess she didn't die uh when we get to the end i do think there's uh again there's a reason for the scene right by him gaining the power of the oracle i believe he sees his own victory right that's why he's like i see you i know i win i blah 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 so it informs that second burly brawl you're totally right that is totally what it is and so she intentionally lets herself be captured to give him the false confidence that leads to his own destruction my matrix super fan friend informed me that that end burly brawl agent smith has taken over everybody in the matrix i didn't know right that, i get yeah, that I, I i totally didn't know that he had he was like neo was the last person in the matrix yeah that makes sense and he does say that at the end like i've seen this i've seen how this all ends and it makes sense if he's absorbed the Oracle. It's just sad that I don't care about the Oracle at this point. I agree. And she has multiple scenes. It's just, there's just something not quite right about her performance, you know? Like, she's doing she's doing good enough work. It's just... It's that she doesn't have any warmth, and the other actress had this motherly warmth. Yeah. This lady seems like your mean grandmother, who you didn't like as <laughs> yes, much yes. as your other grandmother. Her cookies weren't as good. Yeah, so the last sort of uh, major element of this movie is that Neo and Trinity gotta go to Machine City, because Neo's gotta talk to the machines. So we get this spaceship trip to the Machine City. They aren't spaceships, they're hovercrafts. But the Machine City is super dangerous. Nobody has survived getting within 30 miles of it or whatever. And so at one point, these kind of cool, like, defensive ships that look like some sort of big giant beetles or something come up and start firing at them. And we get a really cool shot where, in order to avoid it, the hovercraft goes up through the clouds. And for a moment, we see the sky because you never see the sky in Matrix World because humans have blocked out the sun to uh, debilitate the machines. That's kind of a nice moment that I appreciate. But then they come crashing down and they crash into a building full of rebar, apparently, and uh, Trinity gets 
skewered multiple times via rebar. And then we get the longest fucking death scene that I've ever seen. And we should also say in the fight between Bane and Neo in the ship, Neo is blinded by like an electrical conduit. Not just blinded. His like eyes are like fucking melted. His eyes are melted off, which is pretty grody. Like when you see those empty sockets. Yeah, it's gross. But he's wearing like a bandana or something around his eyes for the rest of the movie. But it kind of hinders this scene because we get yet again a scene that goes on way too long where like Trinity's dying and just like, oh, you've shown me so much. He's like, I wish you could see the world that I'm seeing with my no eyes or whatever. And it just goes on and on and on. Also, like we already got a death scene from Trinity in the last friggin' movie. Yeah. And now we're doing it again. Like make up your mind, like either don't kill her last time and kill her this time, but like don't kill her twice in two movies. It's the same scene, basically. He's holding her and then... Redundant. Yes. Well... I do think that, like, they're going for some kind of, like, duality that, like, he can save her when she's in the Matrix, right? But in the real world, it's sure, like, true. He, yeah. he, it's like he's trying, he would love to save her, but he knows he can't, right? But I agree, this wins the award for longest scene in the entire franchise. Like, it, it is so fucking long and so painful. Like, It just keeps going. It feels like the conversation should end like three or four different times. It actually cracks me up. Like while I'm watching it, I start to giggle. I want him to say, I love the hell out of (laughs) you. I just can't believe that like the editor and the fucking producers and test audiences, like, like at no point did no one say, guys, this, this is just a little too much. Like they just keep talking. Like, I know they, they're trying to, like, give her, like, a big epic farewell, but it's so cheesy. At one point, she even, like, closes her eyes and you think she's dead. And then she opens her eyes and she keeps talking. <laughs> I can't defend this at all. It's so painful. Well, in all defense, he can't see that. He couldn't see that's that, true. so it doesn't matter. That's true. But and doesn't he have powers in the in the outside world? I feel like that's another thing where they don't really like explain. It's like, okay, he can stop the machines, but what's the end of his powers? And like I feel like his real world powers are never really like he's just in tune. He's force sensitive, but he doesn't have the force. I don't know. It's like all lukewarm and obtuse. They play so loose with these magic powers. That was supposed to be the game changer. That's where they left off the last movie. So you're like, holy fucking shit. Is it a matrix within a matrix? Why does he have these powers? Nothing. It is a dress. I think like he goes and sees the Oracle right earlier in the film. He goes and sees the Oracle and she like kind of explains it, but in a way that doesn't answer anything, right? Yeah, when they're going to the machine city, he can like now basically anything that's a machine, he can see it in magic vision and it's all like orange and glowy yeah but he also like when he fights bane he sees him as agent smith so i yes. guess he's just able to see code everywhere i don't he's it's, seeing like the spirit of the machines almost like their aura he can yes. see the spiritual aura of machines i guess there's this really weird part where the part you're talking about when they're like the the turtle things are firing the bombs right and you see, like, the spirit of one of them, like, pass through his body. Do you remember that? Yes. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what that is. I don't know why that's happening. It's so weird. But wouldn't a physical thing be passing through his body as well and killing him? It reminds me of, like, a moment from that movie Final Fantasy Spirits Within. And I don't know if it's just, like, an homage to that movie, but I don't know why. This is my homage to the Super Mario Brothers French. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, like, every scene's a little wink. 
No, but there is a scene in in Spirits Within sure. where like like a like a blue spirit passes through a guy in a kind of a similar shot. In terms of Trinity dying, right? Like I think he just knows like, yo, if it comes to machines, I can I maybe have magic, but like right. I can't do anything about like rebar through human flesh. Fair enough. So after this, Neo sort of crawls his way to this pedestal that's in the middle of like Machine City. And, you know, Machine City's pretty cool. It's, you know, kind of very kind of geegery in a way. And Is this Zero One, the, the, where yes. in the second Renaissance they set up camp? And yeah, okay. Yeah, I think this is Zero One, but they just keep calling it the Machine City. You guys are speaking some other language. Is this from the video game or something? In the second Renaissance, in the Animatrix, they talk about the machines starting their own country and city. And it's gotcha. called, it was decreed Zero One. And then, you know, they do such good business that the... The stock market, you know, goes up only for their currency and which is kind of like maybe talking about crypto. And that's why I'm like, so the Animatrix is so much more interesting than this. A moment that I find genuinely moving is when he says goodbye to Morpheus before he goes on the Machine City like mission. I like that moment. Neo says it's been an honor, sir. And Morpheus this is like the one time Lawrence Fishburne like is really acting. And he's like, the honor has been all mine. And they like hug and like I got teary eyed. I get a, I actually get a little teary eyed every time I watch that scene. I've completely forgotten. That. I forgot about <laughs> it too. But it sounds moving by your rendition. Yeah, the, your description of it is giving getting me a little choked up. Uh, maybe I'll have to go back and watch that. There's a lot of stuff here that when I watched it with my super fan, I was like, I totally missed that because I was bored to tears and I was kind of just done with the movie, you know, like I couldn't invest anymore because I'd been battle fatigue, like Sebastian was saying, you know, and so I feel like they couldn't even bring it back from the brink at this point. To be fair, that scene happens before the entire battle for Zion. So you easily forget it because you watched 40 minutes of robot battle. So Neo's got to talk to the machine god, I guess. It's this sort of like baby head thing that's made out of all these, is it made out of squiddies or something? I mean, it's basically just a representation of some sort of consciousness and it looks like a giant baby head, which I kind of like. Like, I think when I first saw this, I was like, that's a weird, dumb choice. But now I kind of am into it. I like that it looks like a baby head. But yeah, they have this weird conversation where they're essentially making a deal to allow humanity to live and machines and humanity are going to coexist in some sort of form of peace. But Neo has to go into the Matrix and fight Smith because Smith has basically taken over and replicated himself over everybody in the Matrix. But there is, like every scene in this movie, a lot of mumbo jumbo back and forth. The scene goes on way too long. And I can't even really remember all of the details of what they sort of discuss. I, I'm going to disagree with you here. I don't think this scene goes on that long. And I think it's it's really important. And I really like I really like the scene. I love the giant floating machine god. I, I think that's cool. The gist is he's like, yo, Agent Smith isn't going to he's going to keep replicating and he's going to spill out of the Matrix and he's going to infect everything. So right. basically like, yo, give me like give me a chance to go stop him. And if I do it, I want peace between humans and machines. It's funny because this seems like the one time a longer conversation is needed about the terms of that. <laughs> like, uh <-huh>. right. <laughs> but I, I just really, I dig that. I dig that, like, we can talk about this in terms of the whole ending, but I like that all of this shit has been funneling to this confrontation. That, like, he's like, I got to go to the machine city, but he doesn't know why. And then when he gets there, 
like I don't know how he knows that Agent Smith has taken over the Matrix. He, I guess, just because he's magic now, right? He just knows everything about machines. But I like this. That's what I'm going to say. I like the idea that they strike a compromise. You know, that's like a very sort of undramatic thing, but is actually cool because you know you don't see that coming. You don't think, you know, it's not blowing up the Death Star. It's kind of the opposite. You know, we're just going to have this compromise and live together in peace. And I'm like, kind of cool, realistic. Maybe, you know, that, you know, we need to compromise with our machines and find a a balance. Uh, So I thought that was cool. It is cool. And I didn't like it to begin with when I first saw it, but I've come around to actually really liking it. I have changed my mind on that. But initially when I saw it, I was like, that's bullshit. They need to just destroy those machines. (laughs) But now I like it. So this results in Neo getting jacked back into the Matrix and we get our big, massive throwdown rain fight between him and Agent Smith. And I remember at the time, this was the scene that everybody was like, yeah, movie sucks, but this scene's pretty fucking awesome. And I, I was, still okay. do really like this scene. Yeah, that was the impression that I would get from most people. They were like, the movie sucks, but there's a fight at the end that's really good. Oh. And I mean, Neo's back in his cool cleric outfit at this point and you know there's a lot of flying around and in the rain and at one point they're in this building and they're fighting inside the building it's very much a like superman versus zod type of fight before we got that done with cgi i mean we'd obviously had one in superman 2 but i remember a lot of people saying like oh yeah this is the way you do a superman fight in superman i mean it's cool it's great the rain effects cool it does, unfortunately, like everything in this movie, it goes too far. And at one point, they end up flying around in the sky My and God. punching each other in the face. And they're terrible <sighs> CGI versions of them. And it's so bad so because bad. it's like we're going into close ups on their face. And like the fists are like striking the face in slow motion. We get these completely video gamey looking versions of them striking each other in the face. Like, just don't put that in there. Just dial it back a little bit. It, it looks terrible now. I mean, it didn't look great then, but now it's like they're pushing the technology in the wrong direction. I hate everything about this last fight. This, really? this last fight to me was just like, oh my God, when will this movie end? I was already like beaten down by like that mildly interesting Zion fight. And then this, I'm like, another burly brawl. Like there was nothing new to it for me other than maybe like the, the bubble of water that expands. But to me, like this is yeah, the same. That's cool. that's cool. Yeah. But this is the same problem as I have with Scott Pilgrim. It's an inconsequential fight. Like how many times can they hit each other before anything actually happens? It's like they can hit each other till the cows come home and nothing changes. It's like, okay, is he dead yet? Nope. Nope. Is he dead yet? Nope. And then so it just goes on and on and on. It's only just visual fodder. Right. Like clearly this conflict is not going to be solved with fists, right? No. <laughs> like, no that's not going like, to how this is going to end. What am I end. doing here? Yeah. And I so I wanted it to end. I was so just over it. I'm like, oh, another one of these fights. Oh, I couldn't deal. I hate it. Well, it's not going to surprise you that I love this fight. <laughs> Dude, I love the music. This is some of the best music in the whole fucking franchise. Music is cool. Yeah. Uh, I, I love the rainy city filled with Agent Smiths. I love the way they like are standing in the street. Dude, this fight is fucking awesome. With the exception of the weird part with the slow motion punch. I, I agree. That is, <laughs> it is really unnecessary. It's bad looking. It, it takes you out of it. 
But again, I think the whole point is that like the fight is Neo learning that he can't win, right? It doesn't matter how many times he punches him. He'll never win that way. And so I, I, I get where you're coming from. I totally do. But I think that's the point. And also like, come on, you, you kind of need your Matrix movie to end with Neo fighting Agent Smith. Sure, like, yeah. I agree. Yeah, I yes. get that. And, and as, as far as upping the ante, man, this is cool. Like, at the end when he grabs him and, like, drives him down into the street and, like, the whole city block explodes, that's cool. This is cool. Smoke a joint and watch the scene again, Chris. I have. Come on, this is it's cool. It's no good. <laughs> You're a cranky man. When there's no dramatic stakes, I mean, shit, I'll at least watch, like, fucking Scott Pilgrim, which is more visually colorful. What do you mean, no dramatic stakes? If Neo loses this fight, all humanity and all machines die. How is he gonna lose? He's thrown him through a thousand buildings and he's still standing and he's still up. How's he gonna lose? I don't understand. Like, is he ever going to lose? He could. It's possible. He might. Okay. I, I never saw a, a way of him ever really losing. So I was just like, okay, this is their cool last Western shootout showdown. I get it. But nothing's really happening. If you look at the scoreboard, nothing is happening. Well, that's fair. But like, did did you ever for a moment think that Agent Smith was going to win this In battle? In the first one? Yeah. He fucking shoots Keanu and he dies, essentially. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Yeah, like, well, that's in the first movie. This is the end. That's of why the... the first one's superior. Yeah. Oh, yeah, obviously. Because I believed it. I see Chris's point, but I also am with Rodney in that, like, I want the Matrix to end with those two beating the crap out fair of enough, each other. Fair enough, fair enough. They do it in spectacular style. I'm not saying they don't go for it. Yes, they go for it. Sure. Chris, I do feel that sort of, like, no one's actually getting worn down. Like, in, in the subway fight in part one, you feel like Neo is, like, getting the Losing. shit beat out yeah, of him. Yeah, like, exactly. He's like, right? And that is missing from this fight. It does just feel like two gods punching each other. And you're like, yeah. if you can't hurt each other, why are you even punching? Exactly. Yeah. And I, I'm not going to disagree, but I kind of just have to let that go because it's visually sure. awesome. Sure. I mean, that's the same in any Superman movie when yeah. Superman's fighting somebody as powerful mm -hmm. as him. I mean, it's why the end of Man of Steel kind of gets to be a completely bludgeoning experience. Yeah. This will come as no surprise. But I also love the end of Man of Steel. <laughs> yeah, so you just like seeing two way overpowered characters I do. just endlessly beating on each other with no real progression. <laughs> okay. You could just watch that forever. <laughs> if that were the entire movie, if like Man of Steel just started with Zod showing up and he's like, I'm going to fight you for two hours, that'd be my favorite movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so basically it's you could watch that forever. I can watch it for a little while and Chris can't watch it at all. Yeah, we've figured it out. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, not much ground is reached with these two gods punching each other. So the way the fight ends is Neo gives up and allows Smith to replicate him. And so Smith jams his hand into Neo. Neo becomes a Smith which then, because Neo is plugged into the God Machine or whatever, the God Machine is then able to destroy Smith. Is that what's going on? I think on? the Matrix reboots, and then, yeah, that's it's all over, and then wipes out everything. Is that what happens? I thought that the Matrix rebooted and wiped out everybody, including Agent Smith and Neo. It seems like the Machine God, like, pumps like an antivirus or something, into Neo. Oh, right. No, Neo is the antivirus. That's right. He becomes the antivirus, I think. That's what my super fan said. The like, Matrix definitely resets. We yes. see that at the end. 
It does bring up the question of why the machine god can't just pump that in through any of the other humans that are currently plugged into the Matrix. That's what I'm saying. Neo is the only one who could do be the antivirus because he's the anti-Smith. Right. I guess it's like the machine god can only do this through Neo because of magic reasons. Right. Because he's the because he's the end of the equation and blah 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 blah. Yeah, and Neo created Smith in re- replication in the first place by jumping into him that first time. Right. Right. So it's got to it's come full circle. Yeah, it's just one of those things that like I, I, I get it. I can buy it. Yeah. I like that Neo dies and that he gives his life in a Christ like fashion to save everyone. I think that all works. I think the way the scene is done is really painful. Like the way Agent Smith, again, monologues for like five minutes straight, you know, like in a puddle like that's. That is rough. Yeah, it's kind of an Alien 3 type of thing where it's like, I like what's happening on paper, but I don't love the way it's actually being translated to film. Like, I don't really love when Neo does the sign of the cross and then is starts glowing. It's just, it's heavy handed. And I understand like this has all been very operatic and you kind of want to go heavy handed with this kind of ending. But at the same time, You've really got to do it elegantly for me to be completely on board. If you're going to go this literal with like, oh, he's he's Jesus. It's so hitting you over the head with the Christ allegory. It's a bit much. And yes, I totally agree. Too much Smith monologuing at the end. As much as I love Hugo Weaving, it's like, dude, wrap it up. We get it. Yeah. In general, like at the end of your gigantic fight, Let's just end the fight with a winner, right? Let's not, like, the time for talking is not at the end of the fight. That's never the right choice. You want the fight to end with some clever thing that the hero does, and then it's over. You know, you don't want to just, like, keep monologuing. Like, the time for monologuing is past. You have time for one, like, a quip. You can have a quip. One goodbye, Mr. Anderson, or something like that. A bon mot, as they say (laughs) in France. So... By doing this, all of the squiddies that have been attacking Zion just leave, right? Yeah. And the character that we can't stand, the kid, is like, it's Neo! It's Neo! Neo did it! And he, like, goes running back into, like, the big cave where they had the rave, the rave cave. And he's like, everybody, Neo saved us! Every the, the, The war is over! The war is over! And everyone's like, yay, the war is over! And I wanted so bad for there to be, like, one squiddy left and just, like, <laughs> kill him. <laughs> like, Oh, my God. Can we... We got to get some CG artists to make that happen. Could you imagine if like suddenly this thing just speared through his torso? Like the, like, like a Bishop at the end of aliens. (laughs) And then like the alien, like the, 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 the squiddy like turns into another squiddy and like in subtitles, he's like, war's over, dude. That's not cool. And he's like, Oh, so sorry. My bad. (laughs) And look, I get it. He, you know, the kid knows that Neo succeeded, but like, you know, you might want to just, chill for a minute and see if like really the squiddies aren't done killing everyone because like he's calling it before we really know what's going on yeah, yeah. He, that 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 actor i'm sorry actor if you're listening he, he's so bad <laughs> he's just so painful we're like neo did it yay <laughs> i'm never happy when he's on screen and i feel bad because i he's he's only doing what he's been asked to do yeah but yeah yeah I, I feel like i never saw that guy again either i feel like this killed his career this is one of those roles where you're like, I don't want to see him in anything ever again. Like <laughs> agents are throwing out his fucking headshots. <laughs> Poor guy. 
can you just please take the burden of this terrible fucking last scene off of my shoulders, Rodney? Well, I thought what you wanted to know is like, why does the Oracle come back? And it's because it's like he overwrote everyone. But once Neo, you know, canceled him out, everyone just gets their body back, basically. Sure. Yeah. So it didn't reboot. It just went back to normal. I think both are happening because you definitely see the city like reforming, like the sidewalk like right. cleans itself up. Yeah, and I like that we get the cat, and then the cat reforms, so we get the deja vu right. callback that, yeah, to the original movie. I like that. And then Sati's just there sleeping on the sidewalk like some sort of homeless child or whatever. <laughs> but Sati, we didn't give a shit about you at the beginning of the movie, and I don't give a shit about you now. And she's like, Oracle, Oracle, and goes running to the park where like yes. the world's fakest sunrise is happening. which With like a bit of a rainbow. Right. I get it. It's not the real world, so whatever it's just visually this whole scene just looks like shit to me and you know i'm appreciating that they're sort of explaining what's going on because the architect walks up and he's like they're basically laying down what happened that the this truce has been formed and anyone who wants to get out of the matrix now can get out of the matrix i guess now people are going to be told in the matrix so everyone gets an email and it says like right hey you, <laughs> you're in the matrix. you probably don't know this but you are asleep in a vat of goo and you're in the matrix yeah. and if you'd like to leave you can but you should be aware that you have to eat gruel for the rest of your life <laughs> yeah exactly i feel like get me plugged in please i really feel like that should be that should be the sequel like that's coming out next next week <laughs> and everybody says no everyone's just like no thank you matrix exactly no thanks i definitely blue would not i would blue pill it totally I would be like, <laughs> oh yeah i'd be like fuck this shit like i don't care about the truth yeah. fuck the truth <laughs> Dude, that steak scene, I get so hungry every time that I watch it. That steak looks point. so fucking good. <sighs> that is the best, juiciest You should start a restaurant steak. and just show that scene to everybody who comes into the restaurant, and they'll be like, I had the best time ever. Cypher's Steakhouse, right? Oh, my God. That's... Cypher's Steakhouse. <laughs> Dude, that's good. That's fucking great. <laughs> I would go, for sure. That is the best steak that's ever been put on film. It looks Absolutely. so good. Whatever yeah. prop master handled that steak... <sighs> Bravo. You yes, were well worth your pay. But the end of... So explain to us, yeah. Well, I can't explain it. The ending of this movie is terrible. This is a terrible ending, and it hurts It hurts my heart. I get, like, look, the the it's a brand new day in the Matrix, and, I'm, like, I like that a peace has been found between machine and man. But, like, ending on, like, this conversation with, like, the Oracle who unfortunately is not the correct oracle right and the architect who everybody forgot existed by this point right most likely and like this little this little indian girl who again wasn't in most of the movie like i'm okay with this scene being in the movie but the movie needs to end with morpheus right it needs to end with humanity i don't even remember the last time you saw morpheus He's like sitting in a cave and he's like, oh, I guess Neo did yeah, He's it. just standing there with a bunch of other people. You don't even get like a final shot of him being like, yes, oh, I was right. You right. Know, no, like, he says like, I'm having trouble. Be- this is it. I'm having trouble believing it's real. That was his last thing, but it's not very satisfying. 
He should have been like, we are still here! There, there's so many different endings this should have been. I would have taken an ending where Morpheus meets with the Oracle, right? Right. Or yeah. even an ending where the little girl isn't in it. I, I don't know. I, I hate this. The little this. girl should not have been in it at all. It should have been Morpheus meeting with the Oracle in the Matrix. And the Matrix is, like, different now. It's yep. better in some way. We see that, like, there's been change. And he's talking. And she's like, you know, what are you going to do? And he's like, I'm going to let everybody out who wants to be out. He should have even more of a purpose. Like, yep. now he's, like, the prophet who's going to go in and, like, wake everybody up. And he's going to be allowed to do it without being chased by agents or whatever like yeah it should be totally morpheus being like all right now we get to work i can come up with like 40 different better endings right like morpheus on like every tv screen in the matrix right right and you hear his message as like the camera pulls out or whatever right you see the green just like the lawnmower man <laughs> oh yeah exactly i like the ending of the lawnmower man a lot Bad movie, Every good ending. Every phone is going to ring. Also, let me ask you a question. Is it implied in the ending that the little girl is like super magic? Like she's the next, the one or something? Did you get that? That makes sense. I mean, I, I know I was supposed to think she was special in some way, but I didn't really know what kind of special. The Oracle has a line that I, I can't quote it, but the little girl goes, do you like it? Referring to the sunrise. And the Oracle goes, right. Like she made and it. And she goes, did you do that? And she goes, uh-huh. Yes. And yeah, it's implied yeah. that like she can like re map shit, you know, I don't, I don't know. I just, I don't like it. And then it, it slams the credits and I'm like, I don't know, guys, you, you drop the ball here. Well, and it slams yeah. to credits. That's not a member of rage against the machine doing it. It's like, you're breaking the trilogy rule. Like, I mean, I like the music. I like that, like, choir, like, da, 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 da. Yeah. it's good. But, like, every other movie has ended with Zach de la Rocha, like, yelling at us. Like, come on. You can't break up the rule now. I didn't even notice yeah. that. I, I noticed that the music was different. I did not catch that it was Rage both In times. In the first, it's Rage Against the Machine because they were still together. And then in Reloaded, they had broken up. So Zach de la Rocha solo which sounds exactly like rage against the machine uh, okay he just went out and found a guitarist who sounds exactly like tom morello and put out his own shit i mean it, it does end on a beat that sort of implies you know we could have more uh, matrix films in the future and here we are right the oracle she asks sati asks if they'll see neo again and right the oracle's like i believe we will so i guess they're setting up that this is a non-green-tinted matrix. Maybe that's the answer, right? Right. <laughs> and that the new movie is full of color and full of that rainbow sunset, and that's the reason everything will look different, right? And I fully believe that the new movie is not going to ignore either of these movies. No! Yeah. No matter what the, cr the critical reaction to this was, they're not ignoring. This isn't going to be Halloween 2018 where they're ignoring the other two movies. Like, they happened. I think there's, like, there's a bunch of ways you can, like, bring Neo back. They, we've already, we, they've already said, that, like, he's existed seven times, right? Like, it's literally called Resurrection. They said that in this movie, though, in these movies. So. Yeah. No, they're not going to ignore it. That Dude, I'll be pissed if you tell me this. those movies didn't happen. I'm coming back on here to rage against the machine. <laughs> <laughs> rage against the machines. Oh my God. It's, it was intentional. It's unfortunate. It's a bad ending and it leaves you with a bad taste in your mouth, which is not what you want to do with your part three. But I mean, part threes are hard. How many of them are really good? And w when I say that, I mean, in terms of trilogies, you know, I think there are part threes in series of movies that are good. Right. But when you're trying to wrap up a trilogy, 
it's tough. And I know this was not an intended trilogy, and you can tell, but, you know, there's a lot of movies where the last movie in the trilogy is weak. But I think this is one of the weakest of all of them. Anyway, the budget was $150 million and it grossed $139 in the U.S., and worldwide made 427. So, like I said, they made their money back, but like Reloaded made 281 million domestically and 741 worldwide. So that was like a huge, huge hit, which makes sense. People were pumped for more Matrix, but that just goes to show you how disappointed people were in Reloaded, because this only came up six months later, and people were like, "Fuck that! Nah, I'm not even going to yeah. see it." And that's where I get, I mean, I feel like I have the same, we've talked about this before on previous episodes. I don't get that. I don't get it. If you are a Matrix fan, you like the Matrix and you saw part two, even though it's not exactly what you wanted, there was still a lot of awesome in part two. I don't get how anybody would say, I'm not going to go to the movie theater and eat some popcorn and see how this fucking thing ends. I bet you there's some cool shit in part three. I don't get that kind of thinking. I want to know how the story ends, especially when I know it was shot all at the same time. It's a two-parter, right? It's like, I guess if you hate Kill Bill Volume 1, you might not go see Part 2, but you shouldn't have even seen Kill Bill if you're not in the mood for that kind of thing. People have better things to do with their time, and they trust other people's opinions. If I were to be like, I would tell someone that was lukewarm or liked parts of Reloaded, I'd be like, don't even bother with with number three. Like, definitely not. There's nothing cool in number three. In this case, I'm that guy. I'm the guy who yeah. didn't go. So, I mean, I can speak to that. And it was really just... I mean, there were circumstances in my life that made it more challenging. I was in between jobs. I didn't have money. I think I just started working at a new job. And it was just one of those things where I was like, I really don't have the money to see this. And everybody's telling me it sucks. So that was why. It was like at that point, even though it was only six months later and I had really actually liked Reloaded, I was also at that point just kind of thinking about the bad things about it, you know, like for whatever reason at that point, I I wasn't ready to go back to it and see the good things. You know, I'd been talking about it with my friends and a lot of my friends didn't like Reloaded and they were like, this is what sucks about it. This is what sucks about it. And I was like, "Eh, yeah, you're right. That was bad. And yeah, there was too much talking and stuff. And it was like, I, I think the impression that I got was that they had just doubled down on everything that wasn't good about Reloaded. And I was like, well, if that's what they're doing, I don't want to see that. I'll wait till video. I mean, I was still going to see it. Do you regret not seeing it in the theater? No, not really. I mean, I don't know. Maybe if I had seen it in the theater, I would like it a little more than I did. But I remember I had started working at Cinephile, and Robert, who I worked with, was like, it sucks. Like, people were just like, do not see it. It was hardcore, the sort of reaction. I intended to see it eventually, but I was like, eh, I won't throw down the 10 bucks or whatever. Like, again, this this is just a a difference in personality thing it's like it's like with the new halloween trilogy right like i didn't like part one very much i really didn't like part two but i absolutely am gonna go see halloween ends because i want to fucking see the end of it i'm not trying to like retroactively judge your circumstances at the time or anyone's circumstances at the time who didn't have the money right yeah but rodney can't you appreciate someone's like desire to not see a bad movie like like no one wants to waste their money on a bad movie then what you do is you go for a double feature and you pay for something you do want to (laughs) see and then you fucking go see the matrix part three 
I don't go see... You're loyal. Ma- You're loyal I'm to I'm a loyal fan. Movie, yeah. I don't go see Matrix movies because, like, I want a philosophy lesson. I don't go see right. them because I want to watch a love story or good acting or good writing. I go for one thing. I want to see spectacular CG action fights. That's what I'm there for. And that's what everyone liked about The Matrix 1. Given there's other cool shit in one. But, like, I just genuinely cannot comprehend a world where you saw the car chase from part two and then even if everyone said part three is fucking dog shit i would be like i still gotta know i gotta see it i i'm just an i gotta know guy and you know what that's why i'm probably broke because i spent all my money on bad shitty movies well i think maybe for me at the time and this is an unusual circumstance because in most cases i would go no matter what like I fucking hate Avatar, and I'll see those fucking Avatar sequels. <laughs> exactly. Yes! Exactly. We're going, man. Well, I'll definitely see them, even though like there's no reason on God's green earth why I should want to. <laughs> I'll do it because it's James Cameron and it's sci-fi, and we have there's to talk gonna about be it. spectacle, and people will want to talk about it. So yeah, I'll see it. It's just in this case, for whatever reason, my circumstances were just not conducive to it. Look, I'm not judging you because, like, almost 50% of people, it would seem, did not go see this or more, right? That's where I'm just mind-boggled. I just... That just goes to show how many people didn't like Reloaded. Yeah. And I mean, for a long time, that was the whole crux of the conversation was the Matrix sequels are bad. And that's still the prevailing, like, sensibility. Didn't didn't Tarantino say that he would have ranked Matrix as one of the top, his top movies of... He started counting rating movies since he had been make, making movies at one point, mm-hmm. and he says, "I would have rated Matrix the number one until they made the other two, which ruined the mythology for me." I don't think that's fair, but whatever. You know, sure. I don't see how the sequels can ruin the original for you. I don't yeah. understand that at all. Uh, I I see how not necessarily in the, this case, but I see how that can happen. But the, if the one is perfect, can't you just? separate it from the others yeah you could make your own head canon and just say this didn't happen i've practically done that with the star wars prequels right <laughs> I, I pretty much don't accept it that that's what those happened. are just the gospels that were like written down wrong those, those weren't actually filmed exactly. right those those were filmed by somebody else that was it's a big fan fiction thing that was like done like that's an excellent point because it's like you yeah you can say that right but at the end of the day once upon a time, you believed that Han Solo and Princess Leia like fell in love and like the universe was saved. But now you live in a world where you know when you watch those movies, everything they did didn't actually have a, it. Yeah. didn't have a point. They actually get divorced. He has an asshole kid who fucking That's murders him. That's some true him, shit, right? That's some real life right there. And like all that shit they did to stop the Empire, they didn't actually. It just kind of like delayed shit. Hey, man, that's what do you think happened to the 60s? We ended the Vietnam War and we're still yeah. fucked. So it's just like, that's true life. You know, I'm such a pessimist that I kind of love that. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> exactly. I love exactly. it. Exactly. You can never give up. It's always going to be fucked up. But honestly, though, I cannot think of a worse third movie. Maybe the Godfather part three, but I still think that no, that's Godfather three is not that bad. Way better than this. I'm trying to think of a third movie that's worse than this in a franchise that I do love. I think the the worst is actually the third Pirates of the Caribbean movie. That's pretty bad. I agree with you. It's bad. And that happened around the same time. That was a, This was like the time of bad trilogy part threes. Yeah, but did anyone really care about the third Pirates, though? Come on. 
Those are just dumb fun. Same situation where they shot two and three together. Right. Yeah. They released them shortly apart. They were like, sure. this is a trilogy. I think it's, it is a fair comparison. And like, I think there's a lot of cool to the Matrix 3. And like, Pirates 3 is like a fucking mess. It has the same exact problems, really, if you think about it. It's like too much. Yep. Like in, in the second movie, it's like, cool, Davy Jones, that right, character's right. cool. And then they just ruin him in the third yep. movie. And. And there's way too much going on. Like the fights go on too long. Everything's too long. So it's it's kind of, it's a very similar film. What does everyone think of the fourth one? What are the expectations? I think the new Matrix is going to be enjoyable, but a letdown. It's just going to be a letdown. In, in, like I'm just not, I don't have high expectations, but I'm excited to see it. I think there's going to be one action scene in there that's going to be the scene I came for. Yeah. And everything else I think is going to not, not it's not going to be like three. It's not gonna be a train wreck. I just think it's I just don't think it's going to do what it what used to do. You know, I think it's going to be my second favorite Matrix movie. I think it's going to be so really fucking awesome. Yeah. yeah, it's going to fucking kick ass. Wow. You have high expectations. Yeah, for it, then. I'm expecting it to be fucking awesome. I'd love to be there with you, but I just after watching all the Wachowski yeah. movies after this one. I can't possibly believe that it's going to happen. That's the Maybe thing. Maybe it's just the wait, wait, who's directing it again? It's Lana. Lana might be the the talented one. Maybe. The more talented one. Yeah, it comes down to which of the Wachowskis made that car chase, right? Exactly. Like, right. Exactly. Yeah, which one listens to their editor or which one let yep. let it get bloated, but you know, I just I feel like more color that's the way to go and i just everything i've seen I've, i'm into i'm here for it so well i mean i think the scene that you're talking about will probably be the train sequence from what i can tell yeah. from the trailer like that to me seems to be have the potential to be the show-stopping sequence i realized that the matrix kind of did it first but like there's some shots in there like where people are like running up walls where it looks like so much like cribbing from Inception. Yep. I'm like, uh, I can't really give you this one, Lana. But they're all awesome. Just give me more of it. I don't care where it came yeah. from. Just give me more. <laughs> Inception <laughs> like, feels cool. like the movie Matrix Resurrections wanted to be. Sure. Right. Like. That way, even though I, I don't love Inception, don't get me wrong, but it feels like that was like, oh, okay, now we're changing the game visually with some of the stuff we're doing. Like, this is what you kind of imagine the Matrix where it would have gone. Right. And so now it's actually going there. But unfortunately, it feels like it's now following in the footsteps of Inception. So right. I don't know I how much of a chance it really has to like blow you right. away. You'll be like, I've seen that before and it's been done practically. So yeah. Right. And they'll probably do it good and I'll still like it. I'm not saying like, oh, right. so it's going to suck. I'm just saying, is it going to blow my mind? I don't know. I don't know. I think it has a better chance of blowing my mind with just its ideas. So yes. if it can throw some really cool ideas at me, it looks like it's a mellower movie. Yeah. More time spent in the Matrix and yeah. I want it to be more about a, like a Black Mirror type episode rather than like a bombastic movie. Yeah. I think it's going to be like that. And, and that may be a good thing. I don't know. I just can't. I can't get my hopes up too high. My hopes are fucking sky high, man. I'm like ready. It's so weird because, Chris, you, <laughs> yes! hate, you hate the last two Matrix movies. And you hate everything they've done since. Yes, they're going to get it right. I want they're going to. They're going to get it right. Why would you ever expect this one to, to, to deliver what you're hoping because for? Because I believe in Lana. I believe. 
Just like Morpheus says, I'm believing. I also believe in Avatar too, so that should tell you a lot too. Yeah, that you're completely insane. That's what it tells me. I feel like every t- <laughs> after The Matrix 3, every time the Wachowskis make a movie or have made a movie, I go to the theater and I'm like, blow me away. Do it. Let's do it. Nope. And every <laughs> single time I walk out and I'm like, man, that was disappointing. And so like after like three or four times, now I'm like, I got to go in expecting for it to fizzle. But that puts me in the better position because my yeah. expectations are kind of down here. And if like, yeah. if it's even pretty good, I'm going to be happy. But Chris, I feel like you're going to be let down, man. I feel like you're going to be let down. Your expectations are too high, Chris. It's going to be life-changing, man. It's going to be so awesome. (laughs) I can't wait. I hope it's just like the first 20 minutes is all the shit from the trailer. And then Neo goes, remember that time when the squids attacked Zion? And then they literally just replay the whole fucking (laughs) sequence. (laughs) That would be pretty funny. All right, guys. Well, I'm going to go take the red pill and get in a burly brawl and make an orgasm cake and consider the causality of deciding to talk about three Matrix films in one fucking (laughs) podcast. I'm going to have an orgasm cake and eat it, too. I'll take a bite of that, too. That about does it today for Tentpole Trauma. If you like what you heard, check out our social media presence on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just look for Tentpole Trauma. That was easy, wasn't it? If you like us, hit subscribe and leave us a sterling review on iTunes, if you dare. If you really like us, head over to Patreon.com and get involved in one of our fabulous tiers. You'll be glad you did. Want to communicate with Tentpole Trauma? Send an email to tentpoletrauma at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And who knows, one day you may even get your email read on one of our shows. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you real soon.